Welcome back to the Timbo Slice podcast featuring Jordan. You have made it all the way to episode 14. Good job. Achievement unlocked. So, um, good morning, Jordan. Good morning. Today we have a guest that we've been trying to get on for a while now, the elusive Kevin Carpenter, also known to some of you as Kevbo the Paladin, Kevbo the Bicep, the Doom of Fools, the list goes on. Yep, the list goes on. How did, how did you collect so many monikers? Or did you not collect them? Were they bestowed against your will? <laughs> it's probably a combination of that, yeah. I don't know that I chose any of them, really. But, uh, Give them the palette you chose. Come on. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. Maybe. The Doom of Fools is an earned title. Right? Sure. You can look <laughs> at it that way. Which fools has Kevin doomed? I don't know. Were they nameless fools? Too, too many to count, Jordan. <laughs> Countless. Just would uh, be here all day. <laughs> nameless um, flunkies of some evil boss that were dispatched. Yeah, absolutely. So how well do you guys know each other? Not. Not at all? By name. That's it? And a little bit. You never met in person, reputation. never talked before. I don't know that I've ever met Jordan in person. Wow. What a shame. No, I don't think we ever spoke... I, mean, I, we, I know him as a dev in desktop, I think. Is yeah, he, formerly. That's, that's where I was. That's what I've got. So let's do some quick introductions then. So here we have Kevin Carpenter, a guy I've known since probably, I want to say around 12 to 14 years of age. Or was it earlier than that? I think it would be early. For earlier. You, for for me? Okay. It might so, have been that age for me. So I was probably, what, like 10 to 12 then? I would guess, yeah. You were college roomies, weren't you? We were college roomies. We both served in Japan. Both attended BYU. No, oh, I didn't know you both went to Japan. Same time? We overlapped, overlapped a, little. a little. Yeah, I was earlier. Okay. I'm older. And he was in the dirty south of Japan. The dirty south. If, if Japan does have a dirty south, that was where he was. Basically the better part. <laughs> yeah. I see. Hey, man, tropical islands are nothing, yeah. to be, nothing to sneeze at. He was in the tropical area, but I was in the... the Old capital, the ancient capital of Japan area. So you be the judge, which is better. Uh, it was much colder in my area. <laughs> I've got two two cultures represented though: J Japan and Okinawa. Yeah, the mm. kingdom of Ryukyu is that what they call it? Yeah. There you go. Remain maintain that identity. In Okinawa, it's still pretty strong. Some people only speak Okinawa, mm. or I don't know. Maybe they'll speak Japanese if they're forced. But I mean. I couldn't get up here. Interesting. Yeah. And do they self-identify as Japanese or Nihongo? Is that what Japanese yeah. refer to themselves as? Nihonji. Nihonji is a language. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't get that out of them because I couldn't understand Okinawa. Oh, okay. So I wouldn't know. You don't know how they would self-identify. <laughs> exactly. What, is, what does Okinawan sound like? Does it sound kind of like Japanese? It does. Um, it's It's got kind of like... Uh, it's kind of like Korean, you know, where yeah. you hear a lot of the same sounds, but it doesn't make any sense. Like, what the heck are you saying? But it doesn't sound like Hawaiian, for example. No. Okay. No, it doesn't yeah. sound Polynesian. All right. I don't, it didn't strike me as such. No okay. cognates, even? None that you could <laughs> That detect. was early in my mission, so I'm not sure I would have been able to detect that anyway. But mm -hmm. I don't think so. so. All right. <clears throat> so over here, we've got Jordan. Um, I've known him since 2012, I want to say. Yeah. When you started? Since my first day, that's when we met. Yeah. So he also started in the Xactimate desktop. Um, he was originally QA for a few months. Yeah. Three months. Three months. Yep. And he became a developer. 
he um, worked in desktop then online, right, for a while? Uh, or no? It was never exclusively online. I was on the 28 team, mm -hmm. right? And we said, oh, 28's going to die. So we just need a team of people to maintain the online and the desktop apps oh, yeah, while yeah, we move right. forward. So did some yeah. Silverlight, which lots of people wouldn't count as web or online development. And then it's its own thing. Silverlight. It's its own <laughs> thing. Then earlier this year, he left to work for the church for a little while. Yep. As a contractor, kind of, or was it like an yeah. agency or whatever? So I was a contractor, yeah, it was a two-year contract. Okay. So I officially was an employee of People Data Solutions, PDS, is how they usually refer to themselves. And I still have a friend there, the guy that recruited me to work for them for a while. So I was a PDS employee working at the church your Riverton office. I was at the church office building, though, too, on Temple Square sometimes, usually about once a week. And then six months into that, um, I was approached by a recruiter from Cricket. They make a cutting machine, like for cutting vinyl for stickers. Or, yeah, my wife has one. Yeah. Oh, snap. So there you go. Why aren't you wearing all these epic custom shirts, then? I don't think she uses it on shirts. What does she you have make? To talk some sense into her, Kevin. I don't know. It's for like a scrapbooking stuff or something. Okay, so she mostly cuts paper. Yeah. Cards. She make cards with it. She did at some point. Yeah. I don't know. She hasn't done much with it recently, but she for a while. She Dude, was I'd be making shirts all day, Jordan. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Well, you can buy a machine on Super Sale right now for me. Two hundred thirty bucks. Two hundred thirty bucks for the huh? latest, greatest mm. cricket cutting technology. How much does it normally cost? Uh, so I think. 350 to 370 hmm. is like the most you would pay for it in the wild. Hmm. Interesting. I'll think about it. All right. You think about it. You said you wanted to make I'm shirts. I'm trying to think about how many shirts I would make and whether or not it would be worth well, it. Well, you could always probably. just come over to my house and make shirts, right? You don't have to <laughs> own your own machine. Yeah, I don't know if the, I don't think the one she has can cut shirts. I guess maybe you use it on vinyl. Yeah, and then you cut the vinyl and you iron it on. I guess maybe. But they do have a tool now, a fabric cutting tool that you can put in the machine. So you can use it for sewing projects if you want. But I think it's far more common for people just to cut vinyl that they're going to iron on. Hmm. Yep, yeah, that's great. ICS was good too. But um, from what I hear since leaving, the portfolio director um, who was there when I was there was incompetent for our portfolio and mismanaged some things. Man. Like didn't pay enough attention to the budget. And so they were running out of money like last July or last August. So they were farming out uh, portfolio employees to different portfolios, right? Like, go and work on this other project for a while because they need help. That was the story anyway, right? Um, but, I mean, we were working on a facilities management app, right? Which is the largest expenditure for the church is mm -hmm. taking care of all the physical facilities. Sure. So it doesn't make sense that, you know, other projects would need the people more unless you know we're just going to keep using the current app we're going into maintenance mode we don't need any new development but that was not the story they had an app that was i think two years old when i came to work on it and was still not uh the main app so in utah it's the one they use i think most of north america it is not they're still using the old version right they have all this investment in this new product and they're taking people off of it for different projects 
Mm-hmm. And so just so they don't have to fire them, so they can get paid by the other yeah, groups? Yeah, I think that's part of it. So a number of things, right? A diplomatic way of kind of softly covering up the mismanagement mm-hmm. on the part of the portfolio director. So I was hoping when I started to get a full-time position, but with people leaving and not being replaced, you know, I just figured, well, this is not the time to get a full-time position. So I moved on. But it was good. It was good. All right, well, now you guys know each other. Sure do. Yeah. I served in the Philippines on my mission. Cool. And I don't think I met a single Japanese person, but there were some older Filipinos that still have harbored hard feelings towards the Japanese. Because <laughs> there was that time during World War II when Japan was kicking butt and taking names, right? Yeah, yeah. And much more. And much more. Yeah, I encountered a bunch of people in Japan that... Old people in Japan that were that hated me because I was American. Same story. Wow, that's interesting. Really old though. Great grandpa old. Yeah. And would they talk about it, or were or were you like um, beneath speaking to? Both, both. They would talk about it just enough to let me know that they hated me, mm. but wouldn't actually talk. Okay. So you didn't know if it was like, you know, they felt like a nuclear weapon was like out of bounds, right? Right. I don't know why. Or if it was just, you know. In fact, I'm even assuming it's because of World War II, just based on the age of the individuals. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if this is true, but when I was there, people used to tell me that there was a huge fine for hitting a foreigner with your car, like much more than hitting a Japanese native because they had to do that in order to discourage the populace from deliberately hitting it was needed deliberately hitting Americans for example with their cars there's too much vehicular homicide <laughs> yeah that's interesting but it was a fine yeah and so what people would would tell me is cuz you know we're all missionaries on bikes mm-hmm. um they would say like oh yeah if if a japanese person hits you instead of like I calling the police and getting like a report and whatever and filling out the the right paperwork, they'll try to throw money at you and flee the scene because they don't want to get hit by like a five thousand dollar fine for hitting a foreigner with their car. So you're so, two thousand yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and did that ever happen to you or no. to your knowledge nope. in the mission? Not to my knowledge, no. But more than one person gave you that spot of advice. Yes. Hmm. So it could have been just a rumor, could have been an old wives' tale, Jordan, even though we were all young teenagers slash early 20s and didn't have old wives. but Something um, to frighten <laughs> young Americans, keep them from being reckless on their bicycles? Maybe. But, um, yeah, so I don't know where that came from, but people used to talk about it in my mission. So maybe it wasn't true because Kevin never heard about it. Maybe the people down in the dirty south of Japan just didn't hit foreigners with their cars, and so... Maybe they're more more friendly. Or they have more civilized ways of yes, dispatching right. foreigners. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we were there in... So I was there from 2002 to 2004, and you were, what, like, 1 to 3? 2001 to 2003? 2000 to 2002. Okay. Oh, yeah, so you must have... We, we overlapped only by a few months then, probably. Yeah. What month was it when you got back? I think would have been December. 
2002. Okay, so then we did overlock a fair amount then because I, I entered the MTC January 2002. Yeah. So we overlocked almost a year then. Because <clears throat> I, got, I got back March 2004. Didn't you just say that you went in January? 2000, oh, yeah. January 2002. 2002, and you came back December. No, no. I got out December 2001, because it was 2000 to 2001. Oh, really? Yeah, because I had, I got my car, the infamous Sentra, sure? Cause, in cause, 2002. Wait, that, that, that means I would have seen you before I left, unless you were still in traveling Asia with your parents. Then. Yeah, well, we didn't get back until end of, very end of that. Yeah, but I it might have even been I don't know. Hmm, maybe. Because I I went in November. Let's see. Yeah, it was November of two thousand. So it would have been in two thousand one, two thousand two, December two thousand two. Hmm. Okay. But maybe we weren't back from China until mid January. So you were in you were in Japan then during nine eleven. Yes. Dude. Yeah, I didn't even hear about it. Until wow. all the members were like, did you see the news? I'm like, what? <laughs> we don't watch the news. With, with what? I don't have a TV and I have a phone. <laughs> like, what, what news? We were talking about it. They're like, oh, someone crashed airplanes into buildings in the U.S. That's crazy. You know? They're like, yeah, it looked like a movie. It was like a movie. Okay. I, I hadn't even seen it until I got home. I hadn't hmm. seen the actual footage and whatever. But security was a lot different by the time I came home. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I left right after because I, uh, let's see, I went, I entered the MTC January. So I flew from LAX to Salt Lake City. And then in March, I think it was, no, it was, was it April? It was either March or April, then we flew to Japan. And yeah, it was, that was back in the day when they had like the dudes with like, automatic weapons standing around all over the place in the airport. I think we did overlap a lot because now that I think about it, 99, I have to remember the years. It's been a long time, man. Yeah, I, I think that it was the end of 2000 that I went in. So then that would have been 01, end of 01, and end of 02. And you went in beginning of 02. Yes. Yeah, so I think there was you were okay. gone for eight months to a year, whatever, by the time I was finishing up. Mm. Because I think, come to think of it, I, I think I was done in November and we were back in December, not December to January. Yeah. So I was back in the United States by the end of 2002. Yeah. But just barely. Yeah, and I, I think that like makes more sense. of China trip. I think that's how it went. So when you're going back to Japan, do you feel ashamed that you haven't been back yet? Ashamed? Maybe ashamed <laughs> isn't the right word. Um, Regret. Do you, yeah. Do you, are you disappointed that you haven't? I would have loved to go back, however it's expensive. Are you disappointed in yourself? 
No. Uh, maybe I'm the that, only one then. I think that I've, <laughs> I mean, there's there are reasons why I haven't done it, and those yeah. reasons are, are sound, so why would I feel guilty about it? Maybe, but maybe maybe it was worth the sacrifice, Kevin. Maybe. Maybe, I can't say, because I didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it would have been, would have been maybe worth it. Maybe it would have been. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's a mistake to have not gone back at this point, because... I got back in 2004, so it's been over 15 years now. Sounds like it was a mistake for you, but not for Kevin, because otherwise he'd feel like it was a mm, mistake already. I maybe. think the social scientists have established that we regret more things that we have not done, did not do, than things we have done, because we're resilience machines. Like, if you do a thing that was just a horrible decision, you can say at the end of it, well, at least I learned this, and now yeah. I know that. I'm a smarter per- person because of X. Uh, whereas if you didn't do a thing, you're like, man, the possibilities. This could have happened or this. Or, yeah. Yeah. It also probably depends on where you feel like you are in life and what that might have changed. You know, like if you are more, you feel like you're in a worse state now, then you're more likely to what ifs. You know, what if I had gone back to Japan and... Mm-hmm. But I don't. I'm not sure exactly how to vocalize it. I feel kind of like not necessarily that I'm I'm supposed to have gone back, but like like just a really strong, almost nostalgia. Like you know, like there's a piece of me that's there that's been neglected. You know, it's, it's maybe that's the best way I can describe it. Well, and you have some Japanese heritage. Is that part of it? I don't know. Could be, Jordan. Could be the spirit of Elijah. <laughs> Your ancestors are calling you back so you can research their names? I, I don't know. Some um, Japanese cemetery? I don't think I even have the skills to be able to pull that off effectively. It's, it's just more like um, feeling some kind of connection that continually grows weaker and there's kind of a longing for it deep within my soul. Mm. Kind of like that. Does that so make like sense? A neglected and important relationship. Kind of like that, yeah. I can see that. I mean, I think I feel that very slightly. Mm. But I'm also not that worried about it. I mean, I'm going back sometime. Yeah. But when? Well, with the house being Dude, next year. <laughs> next year's the year, Kevin. Twenty twenty. I think our kids have to be potty trained. Just go by yourself, man, or or leave your kids with your your in laws back from their mission yet. Back in Donegal. What? what? Oh, okay. Well, leave them with your parents then. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hmm. Hmm. I'm in a position now where I could go by myself. That's true. I mean, maybe I like should. In some ways, it'd be cooler by yourself. In some ways, it wouldn't be. I don't know. I'd want to probably go with a friend. Let's go, Kevin, me and you. Me and you. I don't think Tara's going to go for that. Okay. Jordan, me and you. <laughs> I'll be the guide. I'll be able to read some signs and understand some words let's do it by myself yeah i mean i guess it's just 
it's kind of like there's a cool restaurant or a cool movie you want to go see it, and it's just kind of like a little bit lame to go by yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Speaking of which, I went to Kay's Kitchen by myself yesterday, which is the Don Booty place in Provo. Mm-hmm. I went down there because they have um, they have an Asian store that do you remember that old Reams that was down there? I think that's what it is. It turned into like an Asian store, so I went down there to check it out, which and it's like a block away from Kay's Kitchen, so I bought you know some of the supplies that I ran out of like miso. Um, <clears throat> And so I went there for lunch, and it was great. Great. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Five what stars. I got uh, gyudon with a side of gyoza, and they also served miso and a little thing of skamono with it. So it was, it's like $9 for a don booty, and then if you do a combo, it's 12 That's including tax, too, which is kind of cool. Um, and... The, when you do a combo, you get to pick one of the sides, and their sides are like karage or uh, gyoza. I can't remember what else they had on the list, but and as far as the don booties go, they had katsudon, oyakodon, gyudon. You said oyakodon was your yeah, your best, yeah. So I don't good too. Though. I should maybe I should have got oyakodon. Um, they also had what else they have? They had like another pork one. I don't remember, but they had probably eight or nine different bowls, and I want to say around five or six sides. It was 12 for a bowl on the side. Oh, it's a portion size. I did not completely finish and I was stuffed. But I say that. A weaker, um, hmm? a weaker. <laughs> weaker than I've been in the past. So that's why I was going to give a little disclaimer that um, I've been doing a lot more portion control this year. So I don't eat as much as I used to. But still, at least it's reasonably large portion size. Yeah, I mean. The side was six gyoza, and then the bowl was pretty big, and then there's a, a small bowl of miso. And the side's only two fifty, so if you wanted to, you could get like a second side for not much more. Throw some more food in there. It's pretty cheap for gyoza, actually. Yeah, because I thought about I'm like six gyoza for two fifty. I could come here and pay like ten bucks and eat four plates of gyoza. That'd be pretty awesome. Yeah, and most Jordan. places overcharge. Oh yeah, most places like five bucks for six. Yeah. Crazy. Or five or six bucks for, for like three. three. Yeah, exactly. Like three. Yeah. What the heck? Also, they were the legit fried slash steamed kind, the Japanese style. Where you just fry the bottom. Mm-hmm. I don't like deep fried ones. I just don't. It is a lot better that way. I agree. Yeah, the deep fried ones just aren't as good. There, they taste way more oily, and I'm not. A huge fan of the whole thing being crunchy. Yeah, the texture is different. And like, why, you know, make them twice the calories when you don't have to, right? Why, Jordan? Yeah, you should have all the flavor and half of the calories. Exactly. Sounds like that for like some kind of soda. Or like light Twinkies or something. (laughs) Yeah. So I recommend that place. Um, Even though, like a loser, Kevin, I went there by myself. Would you have gone? I don't know. I like depends on what time of day. It was four p.m. Friday. Maybe, dude. Maybe. maybe. What's wrong with me? I I was a day after release, so I was shoot. Okay, let's go after this podcast. It's kind of far. What? 
you drive? You gonna bring me back here? Oh no. Fine. Okay. Deal. Jordan probably can't go because he has a party at two. Yeah, I gotta be in South God. Jordan. Party. Sandy at two. Oh yeah. <laughs> Going to Classic Fun Center. Whoa. It's gonna be some inflatables. Some Dude, dime whoa. cave. What happened? Wait, wait, so they so, so nickel Kate inflated to to hundred percent more. Is that what happened? Is that what I'm here? Jordan uh, is now dime. It's a different place. Okay. It's a different place. Yeah. I think it's always been a dime cave. We've been going there for years. Okay. And it's never been a nickel cave. I see. I've never heard dime cave. I've only ever heard. Yeah, it doesn't well, roll off the tongue. It's a yeah. part of the classic fun zone. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, it's not like its own thing. Fair enough. No, and it's just ticket games, right? I mean, there are a few old arcades. I think I sent you a photo once of an old Donkey Kong cabinet, or maybe it's a newer Donkey Kong cabinet from the vintage era, but yeah. the box art. I think the princesses or the ladies' eyes are looking in two different directions. <laughs> like, disturbingly so, right? It's not like if you or I were trying to draw someone looking somewhere and it's slightly off. Yeah. It was way off. Amen. And Mario was wearing plaid. The art stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it was art. Mario was a lumberjack, not a plumber. That's is that right. what happened? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that means we got to wrap up probably, what time would you have to leave? Like one thirty at the latest? One? Yeah, I just got to be back to my house by 2. Okay. Oh, the kids okay. Are gonna eat some I thought you had cream. to be at the party at 2. Okay, that's not that bad then. Yeah, the kids are going to eat some ice cream, and then I'll drive them up there. And then I'll be there. Yeah. Doing whatever old people do while kids are... I guess looking at their smartphone, right? They find something to watch on YouTube or whatever. Mm -hmm. In that no noisy environment, I guess I better buy an ebook. Yeah, or you should borrow a book from me. I just bought um, the other day Man's Search for Meaning. Have you ever read that? By Viktor Frankl. Oh, I've not. I've it's, read just a. It's a, a Holocaust book. Yeah, a tiny bit of it. It's good. I mean, I haven't finished it yet, but I'd, if you want, you can borrow it, and I don't care. But. I have it with me. I also have books in my office too. Yeah, Man's Search for Meaning. I, I decided to buy it after Jocko did a podcast on it. Yeah? What did Heck Jocko yeah. say about it? A lot. Dude, you know Jocko Willink, Navy SEAL, wrote Extreme Ownership, Kevin? Okay. The ultimate role model. Talk, but I, I don't know that he does a podcast. Dude, his podcast is excellent. Highly recommend it. It's maybe slightly better than this podcast. Maybe. What? Maybe. I'm sorry, Jordan, but his might be a little bit better than this one, but okay. it's close. It's close. Well, you have the top-notch guests here. We do. We do. <laughs> yeah. We do. But I don't have as much uh, sway or pull or or magnetism as Jocko does. Maybe mm -hmm. you know. I'm just I'm not of that caliber, I guess. You just have to get some more extreme ownership. Yeah, I guess so. Well, and he does consulting too, right? So mm -hmm. he rubs shoulders with lots of high-powered people. Yeah. People yeah. that can afford consultants. He's he's kind of a minor celebrity, so yeah, he he's pretty well-known, knows a lot of people, interacts with a lot of, yeah, like you said, high-profile people, both in the military, in the business world. So, yeah. But yeah, his his podcast, usually he'll have guests on. Sometimes, though, they'll do a book instead of a guest. And he, he like, um, highlights a bunch of different sections, and he'll read directly from them out of the book, and then they'll talk about like what, what he just read, and then he'll read the next section. And 
And so he did one on Man's Search for Meaning. I didn't, I wasn't aware of the book. I, for some reason, I guess I'd never heard of it. Or maybe I had, but it just never um, piqued my interest, maybe. Well, so, aside from what you just said. yeah, basically, there's a guy who was a psychiatrist who got sent to the concentration camps and survived, made it out on the other end. And then he just, he wrote a book, not focusing on, like, all the details and all the gruesome things that happened, but more on, like, what happens to people, what happened to him, how it changed him and, and others. Um, Psychological. Yes, psycho, yeah, person. psychologically, spiritually, emotionally, how people survived. And like w- one of the, the famous things he wrote was that the best people aren't the ones who survived. Because the, the people who typically survived were the ones who were willing to change or do things that were not good. They, they sacrificed those things in order to survive. There was a hierarchy. Among yeah. the prisoners, mm-hmm. some of them had authority over others. Of them. Yeah, and I mean, they were they were all hated, mm-hmm. but there was a hierarchy there for sure. And um, and the people who most stuck to principles and were least willing to do things that were either insulting, <clears throat> degrading, or outright evil were the ones who, were, who died first. So that makes sense. Kind of like zombie apocalypse stuff. Right. Yeah. Same same idea. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> But um, it's only like, it's only a little over 100 pages, so I probably should have finished it by now, but I've been, I've been playing Pokemon with Vincent. That's what I thought. <laughs> Video <laughs> games. <laughs> Tim's always trying to get me to play, and my main argument against being a gamer is the opportunity cost. And here it rears its head again. <laughs> sure. You're not it's finishing. It's all about priorities, though. I mean, I mean, ultimately, maybe he's a ga- Learning just as much, gaining just as much from playing Pokemon with Vince. As he went from my book. Right? Who's to say? Wait a Probably minute. We're not, comparing but... Pokemon Sword to Man's Search for <laughs> But let, look at it this way he's bonding with a family member. It's true. You know, technically, he's not a family member unless you really stretch the definition of that, right? I think it's it's extended family. It's in law. Fair enough. Fair enough. I guess. But technically, he's not my in law, he's my brother's in law. Right, so it's that's why we're where it kind of gets into the gray area. I think here, gray area. It's gray enough that according to Exact, where we're not family, therefore I could manage him. Yeah, well, Exact is known for not caring about <laughs> such things. Anyway. But anyway, let's not go into that. Yes, let's. Yes, shots fired. Boom. <laughs> well, what we can say is you can at least call him a friend, and, and bonding with friends still has value. Sure, Ab- absolutely. How do you compare that with reading a book? Absolutely. Yeah, but it's a good book. If you would like, you can borrow it um, or anything else that I've got in my office. All right. I'll take a look. You should. Um, I also ordered some, let's see, what else did I order? So I've got Jocko's next Sorry, book pre-ordered. Oh, apparently my, okay, Google somehow triggered. Yeah, you said Maybe. order and it was like, oh, you want to buy something? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're, they're listening. Yeah. Um, but no, so I ordered. What did I order? Yeah, he has another book coming out called The Leadership Field Manual, and it comes out in January. And so I have that pre-ordered. Heck yeah, Kevin! It's gonna be epic. Um, by the way, 
his his second book. I don't know if we covered this before. The dichotomy of yeah. ownership. Brilliant. So good. Yeah. So good, Kevin. You thought extreme ownership was good? Dichotomy of leadership, his second book. Is it on your shelf? It is. Oh, all right. It well, is. I'll borrow that Dude, one then. It's great. Yeah. Loved it. Better than the first one? Yes. Loved it. All right. I thought the first one was incredible. It was good. I thought some parts of it were too extreme. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of why they came out with the dichotomy of leadership. Yeah, that makes sense. And in it, they explain they don't like they they're disappointed that they chose the title extreme ownership because pretty much it nothing should ever be extreme, even ownership. It should always be balanced. Yeah. Well, and some people don't want a leader, right? Mm -hmm. Like there are times when you need to move on, you need to disconnect from a certain group and go to another because what you want is just different. Right. And if you take too much ownership, you can prevent people below you from having the opportunity to take some too. So. They go into that kind of stuff, and I think that makes the second one better. Yeah. The feeling I got from the first one, so I think the, the message of the first one is definitely good, right? I think, mm -hmm. as a general rule, people err on the side of being victims or hostages, right? I have yeah. no power. I think the book is a little too far on the side of, I have all power, I can do anything, right? Yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Which is also incorrect, right? We're somewhere in the middle of that. Mm -hmm. We don't have all the power, we're not victims or hostages either. So... Yeah, I guess that's the thing I liked and didn't like about it is I thought it went too far in that direction. Mm -hmm. But it's a good direction because I think people generally are more victims than they need to be. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, people tend to gravitate towards the other side where I can't do anything or I, or I don't care, you know, being aloof or whatever you want to call that. Um, but, yeah, that book talks about how, you know, you need to be, you need to take ownership, you need to do this. You are the one, as a leader, you have all the power. And to, well, there were a bunch of stories in there about what, like, uh, I can't remember. I think it was something like the leader of some platoon or group or whatever. Uh, uh, what was it the Marines? Seal. Uh, seals, yeah, I don't remember. Um, and, you know, they did experiments or whatever where the leadership changed and the whole group changed, you know, because it's oh, all yeah. hinging on the, the leader. You know, that... I don't know. Maybe that's more true in an environment like, like the armed forces where people are supposed to blindly obey. You know, it actually makes more sense there to say you have all power as the leader. I yeah. can see that more in an office environment. I don't think you have that firm of control. I think it's more like in the middle, like you're talking about. But maybe, um, the way Jocko <clears throat> describes it, he, he talks about how that's a misconception of the military. He says, he, like, typically you want people who, who don't blindly obey. Um, but at the same time, though, when you're talking about a group of Navy SEALs, those are like the people, those are like the best of the best, right? So you're already, you're already dealing with people who are highly motivated, highly competent, and who want to be there. And so that changes things too, right? You, yeah. And you, you don't have necessarily as much control over the team you're given in like a business environment, right? Like, um, do they get to choose more in the army or whatever? Oh, the, the instructors are the ones who basically pass or fail them, right? So it's kind of, it's kind of like a test, almost like a, what do I want to say? Like a, almost like a temporary, like a, it's, it's like a proving ground, right? So, I mean, it's different once, once you get past the training and you're actually on the SEALs, right? But um, that, at least that example that you're talking about where because I think what you're referring to is where they said, you know, 
during training, there were some teams that were performing worse than others. I guess it was training. It's been a long time since I read it. So and, it's hard to remember. And so they would talk to the leaders of the, t- of the groups that were not doing well, and they'd say, well, that guy over there, they're doing well because he has good people on his team. My people suck. Mm-hmm. And I'd say, okay, right, all right, trade places, and you lead that guy's team, and that guy will lead your team. And then it reversed. That guy, you know, the team that was doing well before got worse, and then the guy that was that was running a good team over there came over here and fixed up this one too, right? And so, um, no, I think it applies um, not always the same way, but it can apply through or to any kind of situation, I think. Um, but it's, I mean, it's true though that that a lot of the examples they're using are where it, it they tried it and it clearly worked. And, and there are probably times where they, they implemented these principles and they didn't work as neatly. And that's why those stories weren't included, right? And so, um, in a way, the stories kind of make it, make these leadership principles look like a silver bullet, but they're not always that, wrapped up that neatly, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like most of the time. Yeah, most it's most of the time. Right yeah, they, there's a lot of nuance there that that can determine whether one strategy works or doesn't, or how effectively it does. Or so. Um, I see how it could kind of give like a false impression of how how effective it would be, but but I think the principles are that he goes over though in, in those books are are sound. I think they're helpful. Um, but they're generalized to be widely applicable, which which makes them a little bit more like a principle, but a little bit less of a specific solution to a specific problem. Right. But that's my take on it. It, it makes sense because if you're gonna write a book about leadership, it's gotta be kind of general unless you're leadership book for Navy SEAL captains or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, like, <laughs> like that's not going to have a very wide audience. Right. It's not going to be on the bestseller list, which is probably mm-hmm. more what he's going for there. Yeah. I do recommend it though. I think you should read it. I think you'd like it. It's on my shelf. All right. I'll read it today or start reading it today. <laughs> Speaking at the of, Classic Fun Center. At the Classic yeah. Fun Center. Speaking of lending books, Kenneth Boo still has my 12 Rules for Life. He's not reading it. <laughs> Kenneth Boo. That deadbeat. Curse you. I hope he's listening, Kevin. <clears throat> I'm sure he'll listen at some point. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think he's listened to any of these. Oh. Has, not even his own episode? I don't think so. Um, when we had him on, he said he hadn't listened to any, right? I don't think he's listened since either. I don't know. It's kind of hard to get that guy to do anything. We need to have a know? comedian on the show. He goes to comedy shows. He sure does. About him. Well, I'm yeah. basically a comedian. So. Yeah, tell some jokes, Kevin. Let's hear that's one. That's not how it works. Oh, no. We have to talk and then I Oh, and then you, you just kind of lay one on us yeah. out of nowhere. Yeah. Blind side of stand-up comedian. Yeah. Flank us with some humor. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, Kenneth. <laughs> I, I try to recommend these books to him and, and he'll usually take the books, but then like I'll talk to him like a month later and he's only read like one chapter. I'm like, come on, Kenneth. Come At least on. he started it. It's true. Something. It's true. But like, especially with like with that book though, there are other people that I would lend it to if I, if he had finished it. 
And I don't want to buy another copy. So maybe you need to apply pressure. Freaking Kenneth Boo. Get reading. Finish it up. There. Pressure applied. Applied. So if he's not listening, that's pressure applied. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Kenneth, listen to the podcast and then listen to the pressure I just applied. So 12 Rules for Life is another good book that you should read, Kevin. I got Jordan to read it. Yeah, it was good. The principle I think most about is the tell the truth one. Mm-hmm. I talked about it in church last Sunday. Yeah? Yeah, I look did. Look that. Edifying the congregation. Look at this guy. From the book. A book. From Jordan B. Peterson. Mm-hmm. I think most people uh, subscribe to the policy of honesty, right? But I feel like the book takes it a step further. Like, beyond just don't deceive anyone mm-hmm. is like, uh, try to be transparent with the truth. His example in the book is he had a paranoid patient, right? He's a clinical psychiatrist. And paranoid people think uh, everyone is out to get them, right? They don't trust anyone. And this patient would say disturbing things during their time together. And he would ask uh, Dr. Peterson, what do you think about that? He would just be honest and say, you know, I'm uncomfortable with what you just said. I think that's really disturbing. And this patient trusted him, right? Because he would say things like that. And paranoid people are looking for hints of lying. That's another thing he pointed out. <laughs> I, can't, I can't help but have that remind me of uh, our friend. Sean? Yeah, yeah dude, I knew. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't help but go there. My brain instantly goes there when I hear stuff like that. And yeah. So well, tell, tell us the ballad of Sean. Dude, I wonder what that, that guy's up to these days. In rhyming um, couplets, if you can. No, I think Tim's got to take lead on that. He's, he's known Sean much <laughs> I don't know. I mean, <laughs> mm, what do you want to know? Um, well, just about the truth, right? We're talking about the truth and that Sean's name came up in connection with telling the truth. Well, it's more in connection with paranoia. Yes. Uh, yeah. 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 I don't know, there, there are just some times where we had some like major friction in the fellowship. You know what I mean? Like, um, so... Back before I was roommates with Kevin in college, I was roommates with a handful of other guys um, that I somewhat still keep in contact with, um, Travis and Brady. And then Sean was was in our group. We used to play, like, uh, tabletop role-playing games. And he was the DM. Um, there's just some times in the past where, like, there's the, there was major drama. And, like, one of the... More recent ones was we were playing Dota. That's probably Dota. Dota. You know Dota, Defense of the Ancients. I heard of it. Okay, so we were playing Dota, and um, I can't even remember how how it was started. It, I think it got sparked somehow because like our friend Brenton like did something well in the game, and we kind of like gave him like a verbal pat on the back, like nice job, you know. And he like got mad that we never say that stuff to him. Just like, do we? I don't know. I don't know. Who's keeping score, right? Yeah, and it's it's more than just the, any one <laughs> example, too. I mean, it would happen fairly often where basically he somehow got the impression that we are all against him. It's true, and, and, and he would say that too. And by doing exactly by right. saying that, he made all of us against him because we would all unite and say, "No, we are." 
right? right. And then he's like, see? <laughs> so you are. So he would, he would actually cause the very thing that he's afraid of by uniting everybody against him, by antagonizing everybody. Yeah. Blaming everybody for things they weren't doing, or at least not intentionally, you know? Yeah. Most of the time, he was a normal dude. I mean... Just he, Yoda he, he brought had, out the worst in him? No, it was, no, it was beyond that, too. It, was, it could just be anything. But, like, I don't know. I mean, he he's a good guy. Um, just every now and then, something like that would kind of come up. And, like, I don't know if it was, like, insecurity or, like, he felt like he didn't fit in with us that well or something. But um, yeah. something would come up and he would, like... Like another example was we we were playing Vampire the Masquerade, which is kind of like the vampire version of D anD. d And there's a, there's an ability you can have in there. It's called Obfuscate, and it lets you. It's not invisibility. It lets you cloud yourself from somebody else's mind, so they they subconsciously avoid you. That's how it works. So it's not like they're seeing through you. It's just that or ignore. Yeah, they're like, kind of they're they're subconsciously that. ignoring you. So, for example, if I turn invisible and I stand in a hallway, someone will bump into me, right? Mm -hmm. But with this ability, people will unconsciously walk around you because they know you're there, but they don't know you're there, it's right? Like, yeah, it's like not, not process. They have the same idea in Doctor Who. What do they call it? A perception filter? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. You ever watch Doctor Who? Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, there was one episode. I think it was the, first, it was the episode where they introduced Amy Pond, right? And there's like a door in her house that she doesn't know is there. And so like the doctor asks her like how many doors are in this room and there are five doors, but she keeps saying four. He's like, there's a door right there, you know? But there's a perception filter on it so she couldn't see it. Um, even though it was there, but she like, she knew it was there still. She just didn't know at the same time, right? And so anyway, that was a long explanation of what Obfuscate does. But we had some kind of like discussion where, um, Brady's character had a flaw in that he he like smelled bad, All right. <laughs> and so and he was he was hiding using obfuscate, and Sean made a like a DM call saying, "Oh, but the guy smells you," and we're like, "But like, you know, he he's subconsciously ignoring him though, so even though he can smell him, it's like it's he he he's not at the same time. Just like he he can see him, but he's not at the same time, right?" You're clouded from the mind. And he kept saying, no, guys, it's not invisibility. And we're like, yes, that's what we're trying to say. It's not invisibility. If you were invisible, you could still be smelled. Somebody could still, you know, see the dust you kick up when you walk. Somebody could still bump into you. Hear yourself. Here, yeah. Here you are actively, like, suppressing yourself in their mind. Yeah, like so, that includes, so that includes smell, you know. And so... All of us were like united against him on this, and he was like, he was, he would get mad, not necessarily just because we were arguing against him, but all of us together. Like he hated when there was a united front against him. Like he, he, he really hated that. Yet he created scenarios where that was bound to happen. Like the, like the, <laughs> the, the one with Jer, <coughs> making him re-roll four times or five times and eventually fail and, yeah, and eventually yeah. fail. Like, <laughs> like, I mean, anytime a DM does something like that, the group's going to rile against them. I mean, that's just, come on. You yeah, can't expect anything. Because we're all cheering like, oh, he made the roll, he yeah. made the roll. And again, he made the roll, he made the yeah. roll. And then he makes him keep rolling until he fails. Yeah. Because it was a forced part of the story. Yeah. So it'd be like, make a will save to not do X horrible thing. 
and you make it. And he's like, all right, make it again at a higher difficulty. And you make it. Make it again at a higher difficulty. And you make it. <laughs> and everyone's and like, like, oh, we're like, oh, snap. And like, it gets to the point where it's like impossible. Make it again at, pl- at negative 20. You know, like, and he still makes and, it. And, 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 but he just but eventually fought, then eventually failed. Yeah. yeah, until he failed. And the whole, of course, the whole group is like, "What the heck? What the heck?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, that's not how you. Like it doesn't. Uh, but it was re- kind of like a requirement of the story. So rather than fudge it and make it happen some other way, he brute forced it through. And of course, the group. Yeah, I mean, against that is like that's lame, man. It was, yeah. yeah, it was unfortunate, but I mean, I don't know. I've made mistakes too. Well, DM. DMs make mistakes all the time. It's, but that's, yeah, I just I don't want to like you know, just the guy. But when you know, react like, so negatively to stuff like that, and yet you create the environments or the situations yourself, it it's a big deal, you know. Like like you're setting yourself up for the very thing that you. Can't handle. Yeah. Anyway. So we don't want to discourage him from DMing. No, in fact. His DMs are so hard to In follow. a lot of ways, he was a great DM. He had really yeah. good storytelling. Far better than yeah. I can do. You know, and there were there were good things about his DMing style, just not that. That is like huge negative to me. Anyway, as a player. Yeah. And this was in high school? No, this was this college. Was college. I hope he's doing well. Yeah. I haven't heard from him in a long time. Yeah, neither have I. Still has me a mic. Why does he owe you a mic? Because Kevin can hold the grudge <laughs> until doomsday, Jordan. Yeah. That's why. <laughs> he broke your mic? Yeah, he did. Did he, he do a mic drop? No. I, I don't know what he did because he was using my computer <laughs> without my permission while I was. It, it, was one, it was the one with the clip, right? Yeah. I think he had it on his shirt or something, and then he, he stood up away. and walked away with, with it still on. Yeah. So he, he took my clip mic and broke the clip. Never told me. So I came home, and it's, and just, it's broken <laughs> in pieces, and I'm like, what the heck? You know, oh, Hammer was using your computer. Oh, great. It is also funny how he would... So most left-handed people still use a mouse with their right this guy would not. So he would, he would come and like borrow your computer to play a game, and he would shift your keyboard to the right and move your mouse and mouse pad over to the left and play. And then he would leave and leave like that. Yeah, too. He, he would never put my stuff back. I'm like, obviously, Hammer was in here because my mouse is on the left side of my keyboard and my mic's broken. It's funny. No permission. I've never no, seen no. anybody else use a mouse with their left hand. Yeah, no, I actually haven't. He's the only one I've ever yeah. seen. But anyway, the point is, you know, my expectation is, especially when you're using my stuff without my permission in my bedroom, that you're going to <laughs> at least tell me if you break my stuff and say, hey, sorry, I broke it. That's the bare minimum that I require. But that was never done and never handled. And so I just, I, have, I still have that broken mic. You still have I it? I still have it. As what, like a keepsake? Yes, keepsake. To remind me. Do you like wear it around your neck as an amulet? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is. In, it's in my box of computer. Dude, it's still a good mic. It's it's the best mic. I've, it's probably like good as good as this. Blue no way! Come on, this, come on. Like, Blue Blue Yeti won't sponsor us, Kevin. If you're talking like that all right, on this podcast, well, I don't know. I don't know exactly how it compares. What I can tell you is that that was a really really good mic for the time, and I was highly disappointed. That it was broken. 
because then at that point I had to like lay it on my desk, which doesn't pick up. Try as well, to yeah, talk yeah, like yeah. this, you know. Doesn't pick up the sound that well when yeah, it's because it's it's supposed to be clipped. Right yeah, it's, it's a directional mic, not omnidirectional. So anyway, <sighs> I guess I had to bring that up. My style. Now, when he listens to this podcast, Kevin, he's going to feel bad. Well, I don't. Care. Not so much about the mic, but about, oh, okay. about the other stuff. Yeah, yeah the other stuff. Uh, he can come on. And we told himself. him. We told yeah. him all that before. It's not anything new. Yeah, but now we're like broadcasting it to our wide user listener base. <laughs> you know. Oh well. Yeah, I guess he's, that's true. It's going to be a pariah, an outcast. Mm. Renowned. Well, we said positive things too. Yeah, I really think he was a really good storyteller. He was. Uh, he would do really good descriptions and ambiance, kind of. Uh, dis- he was really good at the story part. Mm-hmm. He just wasn't very versatile in being willing to adapt his story when players made choices that he hadn't planned on. And, and even that's not that bad. It's just that he was also hostile towards feedback right it's that combination it's like okay we're all going to complain about that because anytime your group is like all all excited about that you can't you can't rain on the parade like that and expect no one to say anything you know like that's let them have fun that's the point of the game yeah anyway probably enough about him for sure so you're still playing D&D you playing today? Should play today as long Dude. as I'm not too tired or, or anything. Yeah. Bro, how how far has your campaign gone? Far. Yeah. I mean, you've been doing like weekly for a long time now, right? Yeah, I mean, not counting stints where you know, I was too sick. Or, right. You know, I mean, obviously. Or obviously but, but, but yeah, generally weekly. Yeah, I think we're like level man. 13. I don't think I've ever seen a single campaign go as long as yours is going. It always seems to show great, great DM. Dude, look at that. The leader, (laughs) the extreme ownership here, Jordan. Look at this. Kevin, the DM? He is the DM, and he's held this group together for more than a year, right? Oh, far more than a year. Level 13 started from level one? Yeah, from one. That is incredible. I I think we're probably looking at two years now. I've never seen, I've never seen the likes. And I'm not a fast leveler. You know, I don't, I don't level them probably quite as much as I should. Mm. But... Mm. But part of that is that our sessions are slow. Uh, the group's really new. You know, they not anymore, dude. They probably played more than I ever have at this point. Yeah, but but you don't gain very much though when your whole group is new. Maybe. Like you can play a lot with a whole bunch of noobs. Like it's like a sport. You know, you go mm-hmm. play racquetball with the same three people or four people that always play but aren't good. Mm-hmm. It's fair. You don't gain as much as if you include somebody who actually knows how to play in the mix sometimes. Right. You know. Okay. And so I don't think they've advanced as much. I mean, a lot of what I, well, a lot of how they learn is DM tips, I call them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where I'm like, uh, might not want to do that because this could happen. Kind of thing. And I hate doing that, but otherwise they're, they're pretty lost. Our campaigns have always fallen apart in the past, Kevin. Yeah, how do you hold them together? How did you round up your players? Or did they round you up? Mm, that's a good question, I guess. Well, I, I have some jurisdiction over my wife there. 
you know, it's like if we're playing oh. in the house, it's going to be hard for her. And she's not required play. to play. Well, I wouldn't say that, but I mean, she'd have to go out of her way to not, you know, like we're in the house going to play. What is she going to do? Like, I don't want to play. I'm going to go sit in my room alone. Okay. I mean, that's, that's part of it. And do we kids play as well? No, not yet. And although although Kiera wants to, but she's still too young. I don't know. How old's your oldest? She's nine. I don't think, well, the, here's the plan. The plan is we have a, a rudimentary RPG that we want to introduce her to, see how she's going to do. But I don't think we're going to just throw her into the deep end of a pool of D&D and have her bring down the party. Mm. You know, that doesn't sound like a good move to me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I probably wouldn't pull her into your adult game. I'd probably do a separate one. With just her? With mm. just her and Tara? Yeah, and maybe even your sons. I mean, uh, they would have. Your youngest son's too young, but Keldon isn't, right? Yeah, but Keldon is, uh, he's about as mature as my youngest. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't think that, that really works. And anyway, I, I don't know about that, but yeah, maybe we could do a short campaign. But that's the idea, you know, that I don't remember exactly what it's called, but it's some RPG printing <laughs> off the rules for all online. You know, it's mm-hmm. like very simple start them there. See how they do. That one, I might be able to include for all the kids. And yeah. Then we can gauge better how they might do in a complicated scenario. Yeah. So, besides your wife, how many players do you have? Um, two and a half. Uh, we have, uh, there, there are two, two women who play. And then, so it's all female. Maybe that's why. Whoa! That's why. That's why I refer to it as Dungeons and Damsels, Jordan. Uh, and then, and then sometimes uh, the husband of one of the nice comes. So your wife's nerdy friends—is that who they are? No, or? no, not really. Uh, really, my friend, and then her niece and niece's husband. So you got married, huh? Long time ago. Long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, so why would, here's what I don't get, okay. (laughs) Maybe this is a weird thing to say, but I feel like most guys who play in D&D would be more interested in having a wife that plays D&D, right? Right. But there's far more guys that play than girls that play. So most guys don't get a wife that plays D&D. True. Okay. (laughs) And now you have a girl that plays D&D, but she married a guy that doesn't really. Right? Isn't that like the odd? most imbalanced right. the universe can be? Yes. Yeah, well, I don't, I think that he would play. It's a priority thing. He's not like adamantly opposed as much. Like, I mean, he has fun listening when he comes. It's more like he has problem with the commitment. Like, he doesn't want to commit to being a member of team to really play because if he did then he would have to treat it as a commitment i don't think i think it's 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 like it's not like jeff where you know (laughs) i won't play D &D out of principle because it's too nerdy or or whatever it's not that it's it's i have a lot of things i'm he's a he's a law student he's working a job he has to work on saturday sometimes you know he doesn't want to be the the flake Mm -hmm. in the group that that causes problems so he's just not Okay. It's more like that. Okay. 
And your other lady friend, was she a co-worker here? Yeah, or? yeah she is. And, and then her niece is <clears throat> the other player. Was it just, did this just come up around the office? Like, oh, I played D&D, but our campaign fizzled, or all my friends We originally had a campaign that I was running over there in, in XA. Did it evolve from that? Um, I don't want to say it evolved from that, but that's how we all initially, like... Yeah, I mean, Tara always it. wanted to play D&D, you know, and she hadn't been able to play with the work groups. And so we tried to form a group that would play at my house so that we could play even though someone had to be home with the kids. So send the kids to bed, play D&D, you know. But, I mean, she can't come and play outside the house because then we have to get a babysitter to play D&D, right. you know, and that's impractical on a weekly basis all the time, you know. Babysitters in my neighborhood are ridiculously expensive. Really? I'm, I'm not willing to pay that kind of price to play D&D. Yeah, you know, they charge like per kid per hour. And per kid? Per kid wow. per hour. And we're talking like $20 an hour. Ooh. So it's like $60 an hour for babysitting my kids. That's ridiculous. Exactly. Sounds like price fixing. That's more, I think that's that's more money than I have. I think they've colluded. Well, that's why I don't use them. I just don't use them. I just don't, don't use babysitters. Because the neighborhood has like a, you know, a union. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, like whatever. Then, then I'm, I'm excluded, you know, like I'm not going to pay that price. Yeah. I'm not going to go, I can't even go afford to watch a movie. $100 in babysitting fees plus $20 for the movie and $20 for dinner, like $140, $160 for a night at the movies and dinner. No. Give me a break. Not going to happen. Wow. You gotta find one of those non-union scabs to watch your kids. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, the thing is that I think find some they, illegal immigrants to watch their kids. What, what, what they know is that the people in my neighborhood are tend, tend to be wealthy. Yeah. And almost everybody has family. Mm-hmm. So the people who don't are in a bind because yeah. it's a very small percentage of your neighborhood, and you can't. You can only you know, do favors or exchanges with the small percentage of people so often, you know, it's, it's almost impossible. Plus people tend to have so many kids. Mm-hmm. It's like, can you really do an exchange when people have five kids? So it's like 10 in your house. Like no one wants to do that, you know? And so these babysitters, professional babysitters are like, you know, well, Hey, you know, the key is to charge per kid. And to charge a charge per hour, and they freaking rake it in. Or get a new iPhone every time they babysit. I mean, it's yeah, ridiculous. I mean, I don't <laughs> anyway, especially if you're like just putting the kids to bed and then going to a movie, yeah, right? Like, that's how it is. And they just sit on your couch making like sixty bucks an hour. Yeah. It's freaking like double what I make, exactly. bro. After like taxes yeah, and everything, geez. Chatting with their friends. <laughs> a little side hustle for you, Tim. Yeah, babysit Kevin's kids. Jeez, for just. Ten dollars an hour. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> turkey, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Undercut them. That's right. Yeah, I don't know. It's really high. I couldn't believe it. Then they'll send the babysitter cartel over to my house, Jordan. <laughs> the higher break muscle. my fingers or yeah, something. I'm sure they Come have a car. Yeah. <laughs> Slash my tires. Yeah. Anyway, that's probably enough about that. It's, uh, it's interesting. I'm, I'm glad your D and D campaign is going strong. I need to. I mean, I have a campaign here at work, but... That's still going? It's still going, but, like, 
it's limping. Uh, it's a zombie camp. Here. Yeah, it's like um, we have too many people in, in the in the party. Like, I might get in trouble for saying this. Um, I feel like I am probably the most busy person in the group, but it's like never me that makes. It's almost never me that makes the the the, uh, the game day fall apart. So I feel like there are others who are maybe not as committed. I don't know. It's it's one of those things where you just have like you have five people in the party plus a DM, so that's six, and all it all takes is one person to not be available to play, and it just doesn't happen. Right. That might be one of the big things is the group is only three plus me, so there are less people to flake out, mm-hmm. and one of them's somewhat captive. I mean, she's in the house anyway. <laughs> so then there's really only two possible people that can flake out there and cause the, the campaign to not happen. Oh, you know? And so having, you know, if I had six people in the campaign and any one of them being gone messes it up, then, you know, the odds are a lot higher that you're not going to be. You know, that could be a hindrance. For sure, Yeah. Still wish we we got more playtime on that one evil campaign that we had started back in college. I was playing the Dread Necro, mm-hmm. and Trevor was a, like a Death Knight or something. I can't remember. What he was a White Guard. I don't know. Yeah, something like that. And then Craig was a sorcerer, and we only played like twice, I think. Why did that one fizzle? I think it was Trevor's fault on that one. Yeah, I think so. I think he got caught up with the Andrea romantic yeah. things. Was he the DM? No, Kevin was. It was just impossible to schedule with him because he's like, no, I'm with Andrea tonight, every night. You know, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't. It was going to, I think it was going to be an interesting campaign. Mm. Challenging, possibly, for the DM. Yeah, it would have been interesting. Do you enjoy DMing, Kevin? Do you like it? I do, but I would rather be. To be honest, yeah. I You're mean, taking the, one for the team. It's the worst thing about my current campaign. But there's nobody in that group that could be that realistically. But. So we should start one, Jordan. Uh, me and you. And Kevin. And then we'll podcast it. We'll live stream. Yeah. <laughs> we gotta bring in your camera. And, and so, so we can have it over like the play mat and you can see me fudge rolls and stuff. Sure. Behind the DM screen. Do that spying <laughs> on the DM. We probably want amazing. one more though. If we had to have one more person, who would it be? Uh, well, I guess we want someone that won't flake out, right? Oh, it can be Vincent. Not Chris. <laughs> not Chris. <laughs> Chris. I don't know who that would be. Tyler, maybe. Mm. Tyler's all busy a lot, though. Yeah. So, like right now, I bet Tyler would never come. Not that he doesn't want to, but baby. just yeah, yeah, having a new baby, right? Life is just different. Like yes. After a kid's born. Mm. So yeah, it wouldn't be Tyler. Or maybe we could we could uh, have Tyler sign an agreement that if he doesn't come, he has to send his neighbor Jake. That would work. <laughs> they can share a character. Share. Have to catch up one or the other every time. Every time we play. What did my guy do? Um. Yeah, I don't know. My brother would probably play. Wyatt? Uh, no, no. Not Wyatt. I've got another brother named Drew. Drew? Yeah. Or is it short for Andrew or just no, Drew? It's just Drew. From a romance novel. So our mom said. Man. 
I'm not down with your mom's method of picking names so far. <laughs> what was your brother Wyatt's name from? It was is like Goldie Hawn's yeah, son Goldie or something. Hawn, yeah, oh come on, that's not a reason to give somebody a name. <laughs> well, you have to like it too, I assume. It's like yeah, yeah, but that. but like I don't know. Yeah, I bet my brother would play. There you go. Hmm. But I don't want a DM. No, I'm definitely not DMing two campaigns. Yeah. I still have to go home and prep after this. It would it would fall to me, and I would what I would do is I would buy one of the premium adventures from Wizards of the Coast. If I'm not going to DM, I can't. Like you scrub, you flip the casual, you loser. I saw that look of disdain in your eye. (laughs) I saw it flash across your face. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they're good. I, I have the ones that I've read from them have been well written. I just they they seem good and they're they they reduce the workload so much that I think it would be great. And some of them are long too. Like they have a whole chain um, involving Waterdeep. You know, uh, Horde to the Underdark, mm-hmm. where you go to Waterdeep and there's a in called the Yawning Portal, and in it there's the the gateway to the underdark um they have a whole set of adventure modules based around that and they take you from level one to 20. there's like um there's water deep dragon heist is the first one and the next one is like isn't that like the brand new series that they just came out with yeah like i mean i think i saw like i don't know if you want to call it a trailer but like a commercial or something for it at some point and they were talking about how excited they were about you don't get it all in one thing isn't it there's like you this, buy like i think it's three books. three books there's three books um yeah re- around water deep and so like the first one you have you're on some like it's called a dragon heist and it's a quest given to you by volo heck yeah dude mm-hmm. volo the infamous fam. volo yeah and then the next one after that i think you're in halaster's dungeon the crazy wizard guy um and then I think there's one more. And and so like between all three of them, you go from one to 20. And so it's like this one's for adventures, one to five. And this one's like five to whatever. Um, Are those specifically written for fifth? Yes. Yes. Yeah, man, we're still rolling 3.5. Bro, 3.5. I forgot about that. Forgot Dude, about it's, that. A, it's a two-year campaign. It yeah. didn't even exist, I think. Speak, but. Speaking of fifth, um, I mean, speaking of 3.5, I guess, more accurately, they're playtesting Pathfinder 2 right now. Do you hear about that? No. What is that? Is that based on fish? I don't know. I haven't looked into it. But they might have just completely branched and went in their own way. I think that's what they did. That might be wise. Yeah. I guess you can't really base it off this because it's not an open license or whatever. It is. Oh, it is. Yeah, it is. They still have the open. I think they kind of went away from it with fourth, but then they brought it back. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, because yeah. I, I heard that fourth wasn't. So yeah. I assumed fifth was. They brought it back for fifth. They have the the open SRD, what do they call it? System resource document. I think well, that's true. Yeah, it's on there. It's on the site. I, I just always click through it because mm-hmm. I always go to the 3.5 yeah, side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So fifth does have um, their open source material and then um, you can you know, you, you obviously supplement that with any of the books or adventures you buy, but I think one, the biggest drawback for me when it comes to DMing is, number one, the amount of prep. I don't necessarily always have the time to do it. Right. And number two. Yeah, I fudge a lot. Number two, I'm not great at improvising. 
unless I'm in a world that I understand. And when I create one from scratch, I usually am just not that good at world building or either that or I just don't invest enough time to, to fill in a lot of the gaps or whatever. And so like if you were playing a campaign like in Middle Earth or something, I could I could probably improvise a lot better than like just something completely shooting from the hip that I created. And so I like the idea of getting a premium module that kind of just sets you up in a somewhat established setting like on a sword coast and in water deep and I've played games that have taken me there and so I think it would be easier on me to pull off a good campaign yeah I can see that but usually what I do because I'm doing custom world yeah in my campaign is I just I mean the good thing about having people that don't anything mm -hmm. is I can pull from everything. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like, oh yeah, well, there is a game, you know, I, it's like, it's overlaying it, right? Like, okay, mm -hmm. there's this world, overlay it on top of this one, they'll never know. You yeah. know what I mean? You can't do that with somebody who's like familiar with every video game and right. every, every D&D setting because <laughs> you can't, you can't do that because we'll be like, I see what you do. Yeah, so it reminds me, like there was one I was doing, like, I, I thought, so I wanted to create this this like setting where you have this like demi-lich guy who wants to like turn himself into a god or whatever. Hey, that so sounds he, like my campaign. And so he wants to <laughs> so he he's not every campaign. Not a lich or a necromancer. Maybe. Yeah. maybe. So maybe it's a little cliche already. But um so he what he's doing though is he's sending his like cultist necro followers out to like harvest souls from people. So they go around and like kill people or go around to where people are already killing each other, like the battlegrounds or whatever, whatever. And they're just like trapping souls because there is a spell. What do they call it? Is it called trap the soul? I think it is. But anyway, you, you suck somebody's soul into a gem and then you can keep it in a gem. And as long as you have that, they can't be resurrected or raised from the dead because their soul is stuck in this gem. Is that like that 3.5 stuff? Yeah. Necro, dude, it's like level seven or eight or something. Look it up, bro. Get up. Come on, get on my level. I, 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 <laughs> you, of course, you're going to know Necro spells. <laughs> right, right, right. Okay. So, so you got these guys going around. They kind of have like a modified version of that spell that allows them to like area effect, siphon up the dead, and like charge up these gems, whatever, with power. And then they take them to this guy, and then he can feed off of that and become powerful. And so, like, I kind of was inspired to do this by Full Metal Alchemist. Yeah. <laughs> and so like only like two sessions into the game my brother Jer was like this is just like full metal alchemist like, <laughs> <No>! <laughs> See, that's, that's like how thing. was it that transparent like dang it like that's the exact problem i don't have with my group you know yeah. like i can freely pull from especially like you go back to like just slightly older games there's no way this could still be yeah but i could probably even modern. So you could probably run them through the entire plot of Baldur's Gate and they went for it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. I could just, I, so, so I just, I use that a lot as a, as a crutch. It's like, all right, I, I didn't prep today. Let's throw out uh, this side quest from this game. You know, boom, done, solved. You know, I mean, even if I don't remember it perfectly, oh, I'm only fudging a little bit within there and it's set up and it, it works because. I had fun playing that in whatever game it was. You know? Do you ever throw out World of Warcraft side quests? Like, I need you to get 
10 wolf pelts. Yes, all the time. And that's, that's how we've been doing two years of Dragon Quest. <laughs> Sorry, that turtle didn't drop a shell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What was that zone called? Um, it was it was the one where you had the two the two uh, like yeah, alliance and horde cities right by each other. Um, uh, was South Shore the alliance one? And then there was like Terran Mill, Terran Mill. I what I don't even remember what zone that was, but there they had they gave you that stupid quest to kill the stupid turtles. Yep. There's only like eight of them in the world, Jordan. They're like go get ten shells. There's only like eight turtles, and then you don't even get one every time. Yeah, you, get, you, you get one it's like thirty percent drop. Yeah, it's like what the freak? Yeah. Who designed like, that crap? This turtle clearly you, has a Blizzard. Shell. You kill it, but you don't get a shell. <laughs> yeah, four times in a row. And you run up and down the whole river and kill every turtle that exists, <laughs> and you still aren't done. Yeah, and then there's like, like two other people running around looking for them too, and you're like, "What the freak?" This is the stupidest. Yeah, God. yeah, that's how I run my campaign. Just like that. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Yeah. Sorry, guys, you didn't, you didn't. <laughs> you're looking for for rabbit feet. Yeah, the, they didn't have any. <laughs> they didn't have any. Sorry, you chopped it too hard with your axe. Yeah. Ruined. There's no more feet. <laughs> Go ahead and grind like fifty more. Yeah, jeez. World of Warcraft. Did you ever play WoW Classic? You heard that? I've heard of it. I didn't. I was not interested. I heard there's some crazy, ridiculous stories. Like, because now what happens is even out when you're wandering around in the world, they instance it. So like, you can go to Arathi Highlands or whatever, and there's only twenty people there, and some of them are from other servers even, because they just kind of create an instance and they throw you all in. Because um, now what they're doing is they're avoiding overpopulation and they're also avoiding underpopulation, right? By sure. creating instances and throwing people in different servers in. But you go and play WoW Classic and there were screenshots and videos of people in like the starting areas. There's literally like 200 people waiting to kill the one monster, the one named guy that they need to for a quest in the starting area. Sounds ingenious. Yeah. And so there were two... Two um, solutions that tended to uh, come about. The first one, the most common one, was everybody was just spamming area effect spells and attacks in the area where the guy was going to spawn. And then whoever was lucky enough to get the first hit got the quest right. done and then left. And you right. see so you're just there for like an hour spamming until you happen to be the guy who tags him. Didn't that game allow for grouping, though? So when, why wouldn't people get into groups and try to do maybe that they to increase their chances? So maybe they did that. Because at least it's actually yeah, bad. that'd be stupid for everybody mm -hmm. to sit there. Standing. Yeah, and unfortunately, uh, like you can progress a quest if you were in a raid, so you can have forty people, <laughs> <laughs> which would have been a good solution, yeah. perhaps, right? Yeah. Um, but anyway, given the limitations of yeah, their whole tagging system. But uh, the other thing that they that people did was they, in some servers, they formed queues, they formed a line, and there would be a line wrapping around like the whole zone, and then the, the mob would spawn. The guy in front kills it. He leaves. Next guy steps up. Two minutes later, the next one spawns. So you'd be like in a two hundred minute line waiting. Yeah, for but your you chance. know that people are going to screw the queue and just stand there right. and start spamming. For the most part, they didn't though. Apparently, in, in the servers where there was some some semblance of orderly conduct. But what what I'm I find sure most interesting though, what I find most interesting is why didn't you just go off and freaking grind boars? Like, in the time it takes for you to wait to kill that one dude. You probably could have gained a level doing something else. I don't yeah, get it. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's a, a quest chain, chain that they you needed need that yeah. to go on to the next. In that scenario, sure. But like for the most part, I'm like, what? The, 
I can't remember while being grindy anyway in vanilla where you like run out of quests to do and you yeah, have to go and you're grind. Gonna grind no matter you're what. gonna grind them out. You're gonna grind some so, over so whatever. Grind the queue for yeah. three hours. You know, that doesn't make any sense. Sit around like a chump. But yeah, it's funny because a lot of people are like, Yeah, let's go back, classic wow, let's do it, relive the glory days. And honestly, like the game Sounds was like kinda crappy. Days, yeah. The game was kinda crappy. The the thing that made it somewhat special at the time was the fact that it was such a big thing that everyone was doing and there was a community. Mm-hmm. Well, all that went away, you know, and you can't really recreate that. So, I don't know. Maybe people who are playing Classic WoW, our listeners who play Classic WoW right now, are sitting there thinking I'm an idiot for Maybe. saying that. They're saying, you, you don't know what you're missing. Leave that in the comments, guys. <laughs> if I don't know what I'm missing in WoW Classic, comment on this on this podcast. Well, they can and come on the me. show and defend. Yeah, exactly. There we'll you have go. a debate. I'm sure there are plenty of good things about WoW Classic. Sure. I just don't care. It still costs a subscription. <laughs> what? Really? Yeah, I yeah. thought that was, I said I was so going to go there. You get both. You get normal WoW and WoW Classic if you're subscribed. So it's not separate. Uh, so in essence, what they're trying to do is bolster their subscription. Base. Yes. Yeah, well, whatever. <clears throat> yeah. So. Speaking of kind of along those lines, I recently tried Albion. Which oh, is trying snap. To, essentially trying to bring back ELO is really what they're trying to do. Really? That's what that is? Yeah. Because I've heard of it, but I'm like, Albion, I wonder what that is. Yeah, it's 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 a pipe dream recreation of, of UO, but it's got some problems, as most of you would expect, because you, can, you can't bring back that artificially. You know, but they tried. They yeah. tried. Um, it's actually fun, but it's it's inherently flawed because mm-hmm. they're trying to force the systems that UO had by default. You know, they're they're still keeping that travel mm-hmm. fell line. Really? You know? Well, it's essentially, uh. it, what they did is they blurred it. Mm-hmm. So instead of, okay, this dimension of the world is PvP-free, and this version of the world is nothing but PvP, they have it divided up by continents and zones within the continents that kind of blur the line. So there, there's like what they call, there are blue zones, which are PvP free. You know, you, you, you can gather, and they have yellow zones, which are PvP, but you only get knocked out and you don't lose your stuff or anything like that. It's kind of like, weird. It's, it's trying to get people used to the, the idea. The gateway. Yes, yeah. the gateway. And then you have red zones, which are full PvP. Full loot. Full loot. Dang. But... Um, are uh, you get reputation loss yeah. for doing it, kind of like the old uh-huh. real you, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And then you have black zones, which are anything goes. It's no just yeah, loss. no reputation yeah. loss or anything. It's just all like so something like that can work because it's basically the same security system they use in Eve, as long as there's reason. Because they have, like, high sec, low sec. And yeah, also it's different, though. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's different, but, like, one thing I think that makes that work in EVE is that the best resources are in the places with zero security. And, and they did this. In this which case. is, that's good, then. However, the difference is that in EVE, it is a real sandbox. It is a, completely a sandbox. This is, like, a, a hybrid, arbitrary, lined sandbox. Mm. You know, because like for instance, like you you step past this zone, and now the rules, the inherent rules of the universe change. 
Eve doesn't have that. Yeah. Eve has a steady security system. So in in point nine sec in Eve, you have a certain amount of time before the police respond. In point eight, it's a little bit more time. In point seven, it's a little bit more time, and et cetera, et cetera. The rules stay the same yeah. in every system, right? Here, it's like no, you <coughs> can't attack. Not you can attack and get blown up. Ah, it's you I can't see. attack. Huh. And then in yellow, it's you can attack, but you can't loot. Like. Not you have the option of looting and have to run away from guards. Is you cannot loot. It's forced. It does right? change. Yeah, and, and then in red, it's the same thing. You know, like so the the system itself forces it. In Eve, yeah. it's just you'd be an idiot to do right. it, but you can still do it. And that's yeah, the heavy-handed approach that you're describing for Albion is just is not as interesting because it breaks immersion. That that's. Arbitrary, arbitrary rules like that exist because they couldn't exist in a real world like that, right? Right. And the other thing, too, is it's more interesting in a system like EVE where if you're willing to make the sacrifice, you could, like, kamikaze on somebody That's and right. blow them up. And high security, yeah, yes. you know? And you, you have, you have you know, you have partners. Everybody right. comes in and just swarms that guy, and, yeah, half of you going to die, but the other half, they make the hit and they get out, or, or where, even if you all die. Yeah. It doesn't matter. The fact is... It was worth it to you to kill that guy. Right. Because he ran away to high sec and he thinks he's safe. No. No, you're not safe, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Stick the dogs of war on him. That's right. We don't care if we're dying, you know? Mm. But you just can't do that in in Albion. And there's a lot of other problems too, but that's kind of, I think, the biggest one. Mm. It it feels wrong. The other problem is that in UO, people gathered because gathering was uh, a thing. Either because it was fun, because you made good money, because it was interesting, because of progress. I don't know. Whatever you want to say. People, there were dedicated gatherers. People wanted to gather. Mm-hmm. Uh, gather logs, turn them into to bows. Or, Dude, that's you know, what I did, g- bro. Gather, gather metal, turn them into ingots, sell the ingots, or, or turn those into chain mail or swords or whatever. I was right? a master bow crafter in Fletcher, Jordan. Yeah, that was... I bet you didn't know that about me. I was me. a grand master. Dude! Uh, Blacksmith, right? Arbor. Yeah. yeah. Blacksmith. Uh, Dude! Anyway, the point is, in this bow. game... Flexing on me like that. <laughs> <laughs> I never hit GM on, on bow craft. It's super hard. That, that Those last, you know, 5% or I was, at, yeah, I was at like 90-something, 97, yeah, it, it, 98, it, it or whatever. It would get exponentially harder, which, which I kind of liked, actually. Anyway, this game, progression is really much, much, much faster. Um, but they didn't do anything to make it fun or Isn't even that lucrative. Yeah, it's like the, the reason people gather in Albion is because they have. They've made the systems so that it's required. Like, I don't I don't know if anybody, there probably are some, but not many people play Albion and are gatherers because there's no end game there. Mm-hmm. You, you can, like, like when, when I uh, got my Grandmaster Smith or whatever, you know, I, I could then create money essentially out of nothing, right? I, yeah. I, I would I would make enough money to bankroll whatever I wanted to do. If I just wanted to do that, that's fine too. You know, I could bankroll my castle or whatever. But 
But the point is, there's really nothing to do in Albion except for the guild versus guild slash PvP elements at the mm-hmm. end of the game. And so people do that. They, they gather the stuff so that they can do that. Just so they can expend resources to play the game, in some right. other words, right? Yes, and, and so it, nobody's really a gatherer. You don't have anybody like that, I don't think. The people are just doing it because they have to, because they want to. Okay, whereas in, whereas in a, a real sandbox game like UO, people would just want to be the blacksmith guy. Exactly, yeah. and, and that's the, to me, that's the big difference here. They're, they're forcing the system. It's like, this is a PvP game. And then they kind of force arbitrarily the gathering part of that into mm-hmm. it. So people are doing it and they're doing it grudgingly. Yeah. And that's not how the game's supposed to work. Right. It's supposed to work like these are the people, the people who are doing this are doing it because they want to do it. Yeah. You know, does that, does that make sense? Because it just becomes like, like the big complaint that warlocks had in early World of Warcraft was that they had to use soul shards to fight. And you had to go grind PvE to fill up your bags of shards. Mm-hmm. So that eventually, after doing you know battlegrounds or world PvP or whatever for a certain amount of time, you'd run out because you're not harvesting souls from people you're killing. You're expending souls to kill them. Right. And so everyone else did just you know repair at town or whatever and go back out and fight. But warlocks would actually have to take downtime and go and be like okay, I'm gonna find. And you couldn't even do it on weak monsters. It had to be something that was at least like. Um, I don't remember the colors. They used what? colors for conning system, right? Or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. Actually, they probably didn't. But there were monsters that were great because they'd give you, like, they're too low level sure. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it had to be something higher than that, right? And so you would, you'd have to go and, like, steal the soul of something and, and, just, and do that, like, 30 times to have your bags full of shards that you could go back out and fight. So it was like a, it was a required grind in order to be able to play. And they were the only class that had to do it. So eventually they removed that mechanic. Yeah, but, and, and that's that's essentially what this ends up being yeah. because it's it's a monetary version of that. Yeah. Everybody that's, has to grind some profession so that they yeah. can bankroll. That's disappointing. Their it's like PvP. Have you heard of Gab, Jordan? What's Gab? Gab is like Twitter where there are no rules. There's like no no character limits. No, 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 no. like no limits where no moderation. There you go. Any no. content you. Right, and so guess what happens there? Only the people who want to say things that you can't say on Twitter are there. Right, right. That's and the same so, thing with the so it's a, com- it's a complete mess of like neo Nazis and you know racial slurs and swearing and ranting, and so it's all the like all the crap that's normally filtered out of Twitter goes there. And so there, there may be some legitimate stuff, but it's so sw- drowned out and swamped by like all the other crap. Because there are things that Twitter, you know, will restrict or block that I think is ridiculous. Like there, like for example, one example, uh, one thing that comes up a lot is um, someone was banned for saying a man is never a woman and a woman is never a man. Someone got banned for life for saying that. So you can't even have a discussion about that, right? So you think, okay, you know, if there's a place where it's more free speech then conversations like that can go on. But there's all the other, the, the, the dam is also holding back a tide of just garbage, right? Okay. And so, so all that stuff ends up in Gab too, right? So like nobody, nobody who wants to have that conversation about you know, transgenderism, for example, 
can really have it over here in Gab because it's just a constant torrent of trash and garbage and filth or whatever. And so when you have a separate product that's going to, that's trying to appeal to like the broad population, but it only ends up getting like a subset of the population. It just, it doesn't end up working. And I think that a lot of video games end up following that same path where ideally what most people, I don't know what most people, what a lot of people I know want is a sandbox game where you can, you can join that MMO and be whatever you want. You could be the innkeeper, you could be the carpenter, you could be the blacksmith, you could be a bounty hunter, you could be whatever, right? But those types of games tend to appeal to the people who want to go around and slaughtering everybody, right? And um, and it's it's it seems to be really hard to find that balance where you can get the people who want to be the miner and blacksmith into the same game as the guy who wants to go around murdering everybody. And Ultima Online back in the day had that magic for a while, Jordan. It That's did. Like, there are so many things about that game that suck. It's super old. The technology was garbage. It was great for its time, though. Yeah. And, but the, I think what people miss is the mix of all the different player types yep. into one game where you could do whatever you want. And now most every game that tries this ends up being like Gab, where it's just, hey, you know, we want to appeal to the people who are hardcore PvPers. So then you go in there and, like, the only people in there that are gathering are the ones who want to just get that weapon so they can go out and slaughter people with it. You know, like there's nobody in there who's like, I'm here because I want to be the blacksmith making weapons, selling weapons to people that have my name engraved on, like freaking Grandmaster Blacksmith Kevbo over here was doing. Yeah, right? Crafted by Thunderhammer. That was your name? Heck yeah. Oh, you had an alt that was the, yeah. the blacksmith? I didn't know that. Yeah, dude. I thought it was you. No, it's Thunderhammer. Do you have a profession on your main character? No, because yeah. of skill caps. Yeah, exactly. Right? I probably shouldn't. The problem, though, is we were sharing an account, me, Jeff, Jer. Mm -hmm. um, so we, not only did we not have a lot of time to play, but I don't know, was there a character limit in that game? Yeah, per like server. Five. I think it was five per yeah. server. I mean, you could go to other servers and create characters. And Jeff had two characters already. And so I think me and Jared just had one. But, yeah, so we probably couldn't have done it. But... I mean, like, maybe there's some people like that that enter the games, but it's not, like, a major population. Like, in, in old UO, like, the people who are out, like, being PKs and murderers, it's a very small percentage. Yeah, it was. And it's probably 5%. Most people are 10. there to just, like, play in a fantasy world and be who they want to be. Right. And almost every game that has tried to recreate that ends up being 90% the PK people. And that's exactly and that's, what Albion is struggling with. And that's not fun to me. It's I, exactly. Like, and, and that's why they have to do that stupid zone crap. Yeah. Because because otherwise, if, if it was really free for all, it's it's incredible anarchy. You know, like all you are have are people who just want to go around and slaughter every living thing. <laughs> it's like how do you how do you develop a society, a, a thing where like yeah, I want to be an innkeeper, and you go out there and you the, the second you spawn, you're slaughtered by some guy just <laughs> right. because they want to. And so what I think you know? what I think people don't understand. I mean, that maybe there's some people that are like this, but I think most players don't want the open pvp because they just want constant deathmatch bloodbath right they want to to live in a believable world 
And it's not a believable world when 90% of people are out there slaughtering each other every time on site. Yes. All and the time. That, that, because the key of UO was you encounter somebody in the forest or on the road. Are they friend or foe? You don't know. But most of the time they weren't foe. Right. Most of the time they weren't. But you still had to keep it in the back yes, of your mind exactly. that they might be. Because exactly. it was possible. And that's that's the balance right there. It's like the possibility is there, but the risk isn't that high. Right. Whereas you go to like these games that are that are all about like, you know, the open well, PvP even now. You it's will, like even yeah. you will once they did the fell the the tram fell split, yeah. it was like that. Because now anyone who's in Felucia is looking to kill is you. looking to kill. Exactly. You. Because that's PvP Yeah. The only reason you go there is to, is to PK. Yes. And so all the crafters, they stay in tram. They're like, yeah, I'm going to hit my rock. And I'm going to make me. my ingots. Yeah. And I'm going to make my swords. And sure, you get more resources. Ooh, more resources yeah. from Fel. But why would you do that when you have the risk of losing everything? And everybody you encounter is going to try to yes. kill you. And, and they're professionals. Yeah. It's, it's, not, <laughs> it's not just like, hey, this guy sees an opportunity. You know, he's going to try to steal from me. It's these guys are Hardcore, the hardened killers, killers the that hunters, are red yeah. murderers that are there to kill anyone, anything they can. And and then you now in the new games, it's like how do you control for that, right? Because you have this subset population that, like, if I'm if I just want a PVE, why would I go to a PVP viable sandbox game when I can just play a game that's solely PVE? It, it's too like uh, compartmentalized. Each yeah. game is so so you you can't get that complete population that's required to actually have a functional world, mm-hmm. at least not and have it be sandbox. You have to have these arbitrary systems that make it. No, you can't you can't attack people here. You can't you can only attack them kind of here and you know this kind of arbitrary rules. Yeah, but they try. They are trying, and, and it's the closest I've seen. Mm. I'll give it that. It's the closest I've seen. And it's free to play. Mm. So that's what let, let me finally try it. Because I'm not going to sign up for it, because I already know it's going to be like that. Right. Yeah. But, but I want to see how well they're doing. And I can see that they're trying. They're trying to recreate that. Yeah. They do have the and economy aspect is all player-based. That's good. So that's a help. But but really, it's not enough because there's not enough on the PVE crafting side to make that a viable game. Yeah, it's more like it ends up what I said: the people that are trying to bankroll yeah. their their crazy the, the end game is all about just PvP the PVE stuff yeah. are doing some gathering and selling it in their stalls to try to bankroll it, and that's all it is. But you don't really have those dedicated gatherers. At least I don't see them. And it's because of, it's not really that fun of a part of the game because they've, they've put all their resources into the other part. So what was UO's secret sauce? Why wasn't everybody there trying to kill everybody else, so at there, least in the beginning? This is a tough question. I think one of the big factors, though, is that it was the game of the time. So it was like Twitter, right? Like it's, it, it wasn't trying to branch off of something else and only capture a certain subset of the population. It was like the main um, MMO of the time. It's all there was. Not, not, not only all, that. Not necessarily all there was, but it was like the big thing. Well, <clears throat> Ultima already had a huge fan. Yes. Itself. 
Because you had Ultima 1 through, what, 7 at that point? 8? I don't know. 8, yeah. And, and... Eight and nine. No, uh, I, I, yeah, I don't know when you will came out. It's yeah. a little bit, but let's say there were many, many Ultima games, and they were very popular. And and that's what Ultima was about. Like yeah. even the single player ones, it's it's immersing you in a living, breathing world. It doesn't revolve around you. It it is a world, and you are in it. And so you take that fan base, you put it into an online game, and people come in, and they're like, "Yeah, this is a world, and I'm gonna." Fry fish or whatever as my thing in this world. That's what Chris did. Yeah, that was Chris's thing. He's like, you sit there and fish and make cooked fish and stuff. Yeah, you know, he would catch a crap ton of fish, chop them up into fillets, cook the fillets, and then he'd go around and sell fish fillets to people. Yeah. And and that's that's so he the could game. Buy more bait. No, so no, he buy clothes, so Jordan, you, or armor. So or he, here's here's a total Chris story. Like you know Chris well enough that you you probably see Chris in this story. Okay. <laughs> So <clears throat> he goes down to the river, fishes, catches a bunch of fish, chops up that fish, cooks that fish, you know, while he's learning his cooking skills. So he burns a lot of it, ruins it, you know. But he eventually gets like a huge stack of fish fillets, probably like a thousand fish fillets, all right? And so he goes around and sells fish fillets to people. And then he makes some money. He uses that money to buy a bunch of different clothes and some die sets. And then what he would do. For some reason, he would put on a set of clothes, so he'd like get a jester suit, right, and dye it all like teal, and put that on, and he'd go up to somebody, because um, in the game you had a, a bank that you had to access to like put stuff in, take stuff out or whatever, and you had to walk up to it to do it. And so there were always people all around the bank doing stuff, you know, managing inventory, whatever. And that's where he would sell his fish. So he'd walk up to somebody and be like, hey, how's it going, what's up, you know? And he'd talk to them. And then he would leave, put on different clothes in a different color, and come back to the same guy and be like, hey, what's up? And he'd just be like, I wonder if he can tell that it's still me. <laughs> that was his thing. That was his thing. The point is, <laughs> the point is, regardless of who you want to be or what you want to do, you could do it in that game. Right? And, and these days, like, the workflow or I don't know what you want to call it the base of the game is not like that you don't have sandboxes like that Eve is one Eve is like possibly the only one really that comes to mind that I've seen in recent history where you can do that and Eve for whatever reason has succeeded mostly in recreating that idea and it's because there's so much investment on the PvE slash crafting, whatever you want to call that, the non-PvP side of the game. Like, if you can't, if there's nothing to progress to when you cook your fish or whatever, what are you doing? Right, you're, you're, you're catching fish, you're cooking fish, you're selling fish. For why? What purpose? Right. Hopefully it's to do something else. Right. It's like, well, because then I can get a better fishing pole and catch better fish or it's because I need to then I can get some armor and I can go out and kill some orcs. Or it's because I want to have a house where I can have a cooking facilities and I can cook better things than just fish or I can start making fish salads or, or you know, whatever. But, but it has to have some kind of level of progression there. 
that doesn't exist in these other games. Or if it does exist, it's just really weak. There's nothing to explore in them, really. Right, and, and or nothing to progress to. The only reason to do it is simply to bankroll PvP. And that's the only people that are playing, PvPers, that, okay, fine, I'll go gather for an hour so that I can continue for another two days PvP. You know, that's, that's pretty much what you end up with. What kind of sort of infrastructure is in place to reward PvP? Like, will it show you on the map? Like, your faction yep. controls all this mm -hmm. turf? Yep. This, this is blood territory yep. here? <laughs> yep, the black, the black zones I was talking about, those continents are just completely layer-owned. And, you know, there's huge fights for territory and castles and cities and all that crap. But that's, that's the core of the game. The other part is more like an afterthought. And, and I don't know if they designed that from the beginning to be like that, but it's kind of how they've had to go to maintain a subscription base. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons they chose to go free-to-play because you are more likely to get other people, like, for instance, like me. I mean, I'm, I have nothing against. I, maybe I will go and play the, the hardcore PvP, GVG, ZVZ, action that they have you know but but ultimately what i want is i want to be in a living breathing world where i can do what i want and maybe i'll have maybe i'll do that sometimes but that's not i don't live and breathe that mm -hmm. and and the game though seems to be for people that live and breathe that that's yeah. that's kind of my assessment there how do they monetize it microtransactions they have premium so you can buy a premium, and, and, and this is the thing I, I'm not fond of. Premium account gets you, like, the ability to harvest faster. Mm, that's kind of pay to win. I know. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit too, it's too close to that line for me. It's like, you know, so you... you I do you, not approve of that, Jordan. I don't either. I don't either. <laughs> However, I can see why they're doing it. Because, because that's the afterthought. They don't touch the PvP. But they touch the PvE because the PvE and the gathering isn't the game. And it's proven by how they handle the premium accounts. It's true, but I mean, if you're tying economy, though, like, economy supports your ability to PvP. It does. It does. And, like, and that's why I'm, I, I am 100% in line with you. Like, I, yeah. I think that's wrong. I think that that's, that's too far. <clears throat> they give you... Uh, so you get, you get a gathering bonus instead of, like, three... Or per hit or per cycle, you get like four or per cycle or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's not it's not dramatic, but it's enough that it's a clear advantage. Right. Um, you get like additional. I forget what they even call them now, but they're like unlocking points. So they use a skill tree system that is based on what you do is what you learn, which is nice. And good. Yeah. But they have these points that you get from doing like what they call, I guess they're like kind of like daily things, but it's not really like broken up like wow dailies, like mm -hmm. kill 50 creatures or whatever. It's like you, whatever you want to do, you get points towards completing your daily. So you can do it through crafting, you can do it through gathering or PvP or PvE, it doesn't matter. So that's nice. But that by doing true. that, you get generic points that you can use to unlock <laughs> skills in the skill tree or levels of skills in the skill tree once they're past 20%. And the more points you need, the higher the skill 
requirement or whatever the more of those generic points you would need. So they, they give you more of those as well. So it's it's a bit of faster progression, kind of like Eve has that too, where your your queue is better and you get more injectable knowledge points, I think they call them, or something. So if you're on a premium account on Eve, you get injectable knowledge or XP that you can inject into yourself and progress faster. Wait, Eve is free to play? Oh yeah. I didn't know that. It has been for a long time. Wow. Yeah. Almost everything goes that way eventually because otherwise you just don't have an influx of players. Yeah. And so in a game where the core economy and everything is based off of players, if your player base starts to stagnate or go down, you're in big trouble. So they can't they can't do it. Yeah. And that's one thing that Albion and Eve both have, is they both have almost all things are created by players. Yeah, I mean, it's not as bad when there's a difference between free-to-play and premium, and the premium is like what you would consider a standard subscription. As long as it's not like microtransactions, like, oh, you can buy this better weapon in our shop. Yeah, and neither one of them has that. They do have skins, of course. Skins are big money. Yeah. Um, and and they do have things like, for instance, I think you can buy a, a chest or something that has like, a, you know, a, more of those points, the unlockable points. So, so they, they give you progression. But the thing is that there's caps in both those games to the point where it lets you be broader, but it doesn't let you be better. And that's how they get away with not having it not yeah, be played or paid sense. away. But I do Not agree, bad, in, in Albion, the fact that they give you harvesting, which is economic, bonuses, is very, very on that line, if not crossing it, Yeah. for a pay-to-win aspect. Because the thing is, but, but because it's not the core part of the game, it doesn't matter almost. It's like, yeah, okay, you have to spend 30 minutes instead of 40 to bankroll your PvP. That's how they're looking at that. Yeah. Right. But if they actually had the PvP slash gathering crafting part, a real part of the game, it would be paid away. Yeah. And so it's right on that line. Right mm-hmm. there. I'm not sure. I, I, it's, I'm not fond of it. I'd prefer it wasn't there. Um, but it is one of the advantages they give. There's some other things too, like you can only get your own personal island, which is really just an instanced house, right? Um, if you're a premium account. Although once you're premium and you buy the island, you don't lose it when you're not premium. Yeah. But it still forces you to at least pay for one month of premium. Um, and they give some other things, like like your stuff on your island does better when you're a premium versus mm-hmm. not like your harvests are magically better. You know, things like that. Of course. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, you, it doesn't prevent you from harvesting, but it does make you a magically better farmer. You ever played an MMO, Jordan? Uh, I played a tiny bit of EverQuest. Oh, snap! The, the, the doom of UO right that's there. Right. <laughs> EverQuest is basically what killed UO. I think that's the only game I ever played where I actually had my own character. I played my brother's character once or twice on Final Fantasy XI. How much EverQuest did you play? Oh, not much. What level did you get to, do you think? Uh, single digits? Not very far. Oh, okay. Because I didn't play that much either. I only got to, like, level 24, I think. I never even had. Never got that far. 
I don't even think I had any gear ever. Mm-hmm. Just like crap that was dropped by enemies, right? Is what I had. Lusty yeah. longsword. What class yeah. were you? I, I think it was a barbarian once. Oh, snap. Uh, I was on the ice continent. That was one character that I had, and then I kind of forget what the other one was. I probably had like four or five characters all in their 20s. Mm. I may have gotten my paladin just in low 50s, but the game just wasn't fun at that point. Yeah. I go out and solo one thing. I'll have to use my lay on hands ability, which is like once every 24, 24 hours, hours, 24 real yeah. hours, to win that fight against an almost blue mob. Yeah. And get an invisible amount of experience gained. That's how that game... I mean, it, it, it is not solvable. At least not for Paladin. You know, maybe I heard that Necros could kind of solo because they have yeah, a pet, pet and yeah. they, can, they can train. I was able to solo, pet, yeah. You know, but Paladin was not too yeah. But yeah, it, it steadily got worse because at around, like, like, the teen levels, like, let's say 15... As a necro, I could go, and I think yellow was a little bit hard, right? Yeah, it's like, like a white, white or black was equal to you. Then yeah. it went down to blue, then down to green, then down to yes. Yeah, and as you as you went higher, that actually spread out even more. So there would be like a, a light <coughs> blue and a light green. Nah, uh-huh. you know, but yeah. And then above you was yellow, and then orange, orange and red, red and, and, and purple. purple. Yeah, I didn't even know that. So I could solo yellows like in the teens as a necro, but by the time I was like twenty four. I, it was risky to go above blue, and so it just slowed things down so much. It just stopped yeah. being and, interesting. And that's, that's one of the best classes yeah. there is. And like I if was, you were anybody else, you can't even do. You're like doing greens, and you almost die. Yeah, you know. And so I would be able to pretty safely kill a blue, but then I'd have to sit down and look at my spell book in my yeah. face for like five minutes while I wait for my mana to come back. Then I would stand up and kill another blue, and like. <laughs> You wouldn't even see your XP bar move. Yep, and then if you ever make a mistake or you're, you're a and lose like two you, hours with a yeah, play, yeah. It's more, it's probably more than two hours. Maybe it's two hours for a necro. But I mean, yeah. it, it could be days, <laughs> days of XP gone from a griffin, you know, while you're sitting there with the book in your face <laughs> and you can't see, a griffin goes by and goes, you're dead. You were one shotted by a griffin. Yep. Congratulations. Minus three days of XP. Yeah, so I didn't play that all that much. But it did lead to the death of UO. No question. Yeah. In fact, well, it's what forced UO into the whole tram fell split that I've been talking about, which led to the demise of UO. Yeah. Because EQ was a different mindset. It was, there is no. Or if there is, it's completely voluntary. Yeah, or like on a PvP server. Yeah. You know? And uh, that, that idea led to, why do I have to deal with people that might kill me and take my stuff? In EQ, I don't. So, now granted, EQ's economy in Chrome was terrible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely horrid. But the executives or whatever who were over Ultima Online weren't. They, I don't think they really understood what they had. Yeah. And so they, they, they bastardized what they had to the point where 
it didn't work anymore. Or at least it didn't work well anymore. And you aggravated both player races because the, the PvPers now don't have anybody to kill except themselves, yeah. which isn't what they wanted in the game. And the PvEers, crafters, they they never had to deal with the PvP aspect, which changes the whole dynamic of the game. Like, all of a sudden, I don't care if I'm overloaded. I don't care if I walk out and carry my best equipment everywhere. It changes just everything. You know, everything changes when, when you change that. Instead of thinking, hey, where am I going? What do I need? What is the, the, the best stuff I can afford to lose that will do what I need to do for what I'm doing right now? Instead of doing that, you're like, I just always wear my most expensive crap everywhere because no one's going to take it from me and I don't care. Kind of thing. You know, it, it just it changes the whole yeah. economy gets shifted, and you know, the end. The end was near once they they did that split. So yeah, they put themselves in a position where they they still couldn't capture the the PVE crowd, and then they lost the PVP crowd too. Yeah. Because because those were linked. But you see that kind of thing happen a lot, like. Like when, when you have a, a product or an IP or something that is popular with a certain type of person, and then they try to take that and mainstream it, and it's still not mainstream enough to go mainstream, but you compromised what it was for all your original fan base, and then nobody likes it at that point. That, like happens, that happens all the time. happens all the time, especially with video games. Yes, it's, most it's, especially with yeah, video it's games. Like, it's like you have a long-running series, and... What people really love about this game is how hardcore it is on the research or whatever. How 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 much you have to micromanage or or do whatever the niche thing is of that game. And they're like, you know what? That's making us non-mainstream. Yeah. Let's take that out or eliminate a mass appeal. Yeah. We we need to have big sales because I'm an executive and I want big sales. And look, this other game over here that all they do is just click, you know, that one's doing really well. They're selling a billion. So why don't we just dumb down our game, try to mainstream it? And then it ends up in this no man's land where all the people that love the game and how it was and the hardcoreness of it are all turned off because like, this is crap. I'll just stick with the old one. I'm going to stick with number three instead of upgrading to four, you know. And all the people who are mainstream are like, why would I do that? That's too complicated. I'll just stick with this one that doesn't require me to do anything. Right. And what people, I think what, what producers don't understand is, is that your original fan base, number one, if you lose them, your, your whole thing is gone. Right. And number two, it's not going to go mainstream if the people who like that the most are against it. Mm-hmm. So like if you're trying to take like Marvel movies, for example, if you were trying to take Marvel movies and make them a big thing, you got to do it in a way that the original fans of the comics are going to like. Because yeah. then they're like, dude, this is awesome. Somebody finally made a good movie. And then it gets traction. But if all the nerds and comic book readers and whatever in the world are like, this is garbage, then it probably never would have become mainstream. Right. Because yeah, that, that's your initial push is, is to get those people on board first. Yes. And it's something that surprisingly 
these people who are in charge don't understand. Yeah. Or if they do understand it, then they just make terrible decisions. I don't yeah. Know. For whatever reason, they don't take it into account properly when they when they do their stuff. And you see it time and time and time again. You mean even even with the, the ones that are being successful, like even with um, the Elder Scrolls series, for instance. Yeah. Like you've seen that game go from really really sandbox to open world somewhat somewhat still an rpg yeah kind of yeah the rpg elements have been diluted every iteration of the game single and they don't really replace it with anything there's nothing nothing better well okay maybe graphically or or something but but there's no systemic things that are like improved they're not they're not like oh you know we're not going to let you design spells now but instead we're going to let you create and design weapons you know it's not like that it's no take it out next yeah. <laughs> you know it's just it's just less you know and it's too complicated oh what someone has to to figure out what level what what type of damage they want on the spell and what effects they want and and how strong that effect is, man, that's just so complicated. People can't handle that. This is going on consoles. <laughs> Console peasants, Jordan, ruining everything. You know, like, it's like, look, I don't think that's the problem. The problem is, like, a console gamer, just as well as anyone else, can learn how to use a slider bar to adjust the strength or power of a spell. And you can create one and you can name it. Sure, you don't have a keyboard. Sorry, you don't have a keyboard, so naming it, yeah, oh, that's... that's Wasn't Oblivion on consoles? It was, right? It was, yeah, but that's exactly when it started to go downhill. Yeah. It's only gotten stronger and stronger, that whole console-itis. Yeah. It's too bad. Elder Scrolls in the doghouse now? Not yet. Really, no. The big redeeming factor is they're still open to modding, Jordan. And people will go in... And mod the crap out of those games to make them have much more depth. And that, like, vanilla Skyrim, good game. Modded Skyrim, incredible game. So the community saves those games for people like me. Unfortunately, in their infinite wisdom, Bethesda is trying to monetize yes. their mods. So we'll see what happens with Which, which may well put it in the box. Yes. If they do that, Jordan, they're dead to me. Dead to me. Yeah. I'm telling you right now, what's the guy's name? Is it Todd Howard? Uh, That's his name, I think, right? Sure. Yeah. You do that, you are dead to me, sir. Yeah, they're really close to dead to me already. Just based on... Fallout 76? Dude, those bastards, Jordan. How do they ruin my IP like that, Jordan? I should rip that sticker off my car after what (laughs) Todd Howard did to... Honestly, I wouldn't... I hope I'm not getting that name wrong. I think that's his name. I don't remember... Basically, yeah, look that up he's their CEO dude who gets up and just flat lies, lied even about you know the, the features and how the game worked in Fallout seventy six, and how can you trust them to you know? Yeah, it's Todd Howard in future games. So what did they ruin in Fallout seventy six? Everything. everything. I know that's very generic, but it's honestly true. It's inherently flawed in just about every way you can flaw something. Yeah. It's the same thing we were talking 
people like Fallout for certain reasons. And the only thing really uh, that I know of that they kept in Fallout 76 is that is something that people probably like about Fallout is the setting. Yeah. That's about it. Everything else destroyed. So it looks like a Fallout game. It has a Fallout name. It may even have the, the what do they call it? The thumbs up guy. The vault boy. Vault boy, yeah. But you all have pit boys on your arms. And, yeah, and, and so it's got the setting and the look, but everything else about it is wrong. It's not fun. Yeah, and they just put a subscription model on it too. Yep. Money dropping. It's, it's been a huge flop, huge disappointment. And they just keep making mistakes with it. Was Fallout 76 a commercial failure? Yes. Yeah, I think so. I think it's a commercial failure and a huge, humongous PR failure. Oh, like, big I mean, time. I don't even know if I could emphasize that enough. Like, anybody who's anybody who knows about Fallout knows that Fallout 76, it, it makes it so that it's, it, it goes beyond Fallout. It goes, it goes, that extends into Elder Scrolls because the groups are very similar. Like, like generally a person who likes the Fallout series is also going to like Elder Scrolls and vice versa. But you create a bomb like that with false promises and terrible systems and bad repeated failures. Anti-consumer systems. Anti-everything. Like screwing your fan base, essentially, is what that is. It doesn't only hurt Fallout. It hurts Bethesda and everything they touch. Yeah. Which really hurts uh, Elder Scrolls too. Yeah. Like, like I question whether I, I will not pre-order any Bethesda game from here on out. One hundred percent. I will wait to see whether it meets anything about what they actually said it was going to be or do. And to see if they're going to throw in like subscriptions yeah. or are, they, are they going to screw me? Or... Are they going to? No. Yeah. Exactly. Like, and and. It, it's trying to monetize mods yeah same thing with blizzard games now because Diablo 3 screwed me on that it's like like those companies they've lost all my respect and their only option at this point is to earn it back by doing it right but they're gonna have to do it right before i buy it yeah there's no trust anymore so since you haven't been in the video game world lately jordan pretty much the way history has gone in the past is every year Gamers hated EA every year. It was always like EA is the worst company. Worst company of the year award goes to EA. You know, like there's always they admittedly do suck. Yes, they do suck. And there's always gamer backlash and hate for EA. But then this year, Jordan, there are memes everywhere now with like EA kicking back and like eating popcorn while Bethesda and Blizzard are taking all yep. the heat. Oh, I see. So yeah, that's, that's that how things EA's have changed. Are, it's like Comcast. He's already at the bottom. Everybody knows who they are. Yes. Everybody hates them. <laughs> exactly. it's just, it's just, that, that's just how it is. Right. But, it's a good but analogy. Blizzard and, and Bethesda have been fan favorites. Yes. And then all of a sudden, they're just like, you know what? Screw you, fans. I'm going to milk every cent I can from you and simultaneously give you crap. Yeah. As our new product. Here you go. By the way, I want more money. Like, they're gonna rival. They're gonna. They're, there's gonna be a challenge there for the bottom of the rock. I don't know who's gonna win. Are people more mad about the people who 
are the companies that have screwed them unexpectedly or are they more mad about people the companies that just screw them repeatedly and do you already knew this coming? in a way i think the unexpected one is worse yeah mm. i already trust ea to screw me at i used point. to like i used to like bioware too now they're in the yep. crapper too crapper. The, the only companies that are left i think are at sea obsidian I is still obsidian. pretty good yep pretty good on my obsidian on my, is yeah, at least mid, middle of the road slash yeah. positive cd project red still up there yep I agree. still up there and then larian studios yep larian and, and those, the, those the, are my three the truth is obsidian and larian and and cd project red they're all newer yeah. or or at least were very fringe companies before like Larian's been around for a while, but they were like, like the, the B, the B titles. You know what I mean? Like, sure, they've been around for a long time, but they have not been a AAA studio. But they're they're kind of filling this void because nobody else is doing it. So they're coming in and making games that are pretty good, and they're possibly even AAA titles now. I don't know. I still, it, we'll we'll say AAA minus. You know. Uh, CD product product red is something that you know, don't know much about them, but, but but they've been very good. They they, they released their games DRM free on GOG. Yeah, they own GOG. Nope. It's the same company. Yeah, did not know that. But but anyway, the point is they're they're pro consumer, whereas the other ones are like, no, oh, even if you buy it on Steam, which is already locked down with its own DR own DRM and all this other stuff, you have to sign into stupid other EA account or, you know whatever it is, you know, some other third party stuff to even get into the game. And you can't save on your local computer. You have to save their games on their servers and their servers are down and then you can't play the game, even though it's a single player game, you know, just stupid crap like that all over the place. It's just so prevalent. Yeah. And um, the other thing too is CD Projekt Red, like they, they came out with the first Witcher game and it was good. And they came out with Witcher 2. And it was better than they came with Witcher 3 and it was a freaking masterpiece, Jordan. So like they have an upward trajectory. A lot of game studios will come out with like a big hit and then every sequel or whatever that follows it starts to slide down. And so you like you, Elder Scrolls. Yeah. And so you kind of are wondering, like, yeah, you know, I like the first one. Is the next one gonna be good? I guess we'll see. You know? Mass Effect would also fall. Right. Yes. Yeah, there, there are a lot that are, are kind of like... But this is a game studio where they're like... They started out kind of modest, and now they're like on top. Right. And and so... All it, they have to do at this point is keep it keep, going. stay yeah. the course. If they stay the course, then they're going to be putting out incredible games yes. for the foreseeable future. Yes. But but nobody, hardly any series are able to do that. Like, if, if, I, if I look at every game series that I know, there really aren't many that have managed to do that over the course of more than about three games. Even the games that are good, it's usually like as many steps back as they take steps forward, you know? So it's kind of like neutral, you know? Right, and I'd say maybe Civilization falls into that category. You know, like graphically there are improvements, but they released the game and it's actually got far less features than the fully featured previous game. Now they'll, they'll fix that by adding in mm-hmm. 50 DLs. Okay. And DLCs that kind of fill that out, but the fact is, like, you're better off not buying a Civ game when it comes out. You stick on the old one for like 
three years. Let yeah. them release those DLCs and buy some gold, kind of gold, or, yeah, gold yeah. or complete. And then you buy that. And then it's actually an improvement from the previous game. Or at least on par. Yeah. And, but, but those guys, at least they're not killing themselves. Like some of these yeah. other titles or series are just shooting themselves in the foot over and over again. Mass Effect Andromeda. I never played 3. I heard 3 was all right. I played Mass Effect 1 and 2. I'm not going to freaking get Origin just so I can play those games. Stupid. I hate EA too much for that. <laughs> but again, it, it boasts the question, do I hate EA more than I hate Bethesda for, for turning against us? Yeah. You know, I don't know. Yeah, it's, but it's, it's one of those questions. Like, you know, who's worse? The scumbag that you've always known was a scumbag? Or your homeboy who stabbed you in the back. Exactly. Jordan. The exactly. homeboy who stabbed you in the back, Jordan. One of them hurts more <laughs> yes. if you're not prepared for it. Right? It, it's, I don't know which one's worse. I mean, at least you have good memories of, of the stuff with the homeboy. That's yeah. good. But you just got stabbed in the back because you had your guard down. You just, you just pre-ordered Diablo 3 and opened up <laughs> a flaming pile of turd back. That's what happened. <laughs> that that should not happen. It sure shouldn't. Um, yeah, it's it's disappointing to see some of the game studios that, like you know, five years ago, if we were having this conversation, I'd be like, oh yeah, Bethesda's one of my top. Mm-hmm. You know, Bioware is really good. You know, who else? You know, Blizzard's always solid. Yeah, this that was that conversation. You always count on Blizzard to release yes. a quality game. That's that's the conversation we would have been having just five years ago, Jordan. And now maybe even four. Yeah. But the what they do? They released Diablo three, a freaking complete, complete bastardization of the IP. Like they took a game where the point of it is progression through finding loot, killing monsters in dungeons or that's the main point of Diablo. That's what makes it fun. You go and find crap. You, you, there's a lot of crap that drops, but you're going to find diamonds in the rough. You go out and you kill, clear out you know, half the world of mobs, and you get gems, you get whatever, random loot that's good. And they turned it into a money grab, cash grab, auction house crap, where instead you grind money so you can and go to the store buy and buy your exact yeah. thing off the auction house. And they take a cut of it in real money. They got rid of that. Yeah, I know. For sure. But, but, but that doesn't matter. It's what matters is how it me. launched. Exactly. Yes, they screwed me. How it launched I, means, means more than, like, I mean, maybe at least as much as how, how it is today. You know? yeah. I mean, it's good on them that they, they took measures to try to fix it. But, like, they shot themselves in the foot from day one. So oh, it's easy. really hard to recover from that with with a new and the most telling the most telling thing is is what they said about Diablo three in their retrospective. They said that Diablo three was a failure because they lost the ability to capture revenue after selling the initial box. Yeah, that's that's what their takeaway was was that they had to get rid of the auction house because of outrage. And now, now the game's a failure because once you buy the game, you're not, they're not fleecing you for any more money after that. Right. Cost. And, and that just shows how much That's, their mentality has exactly. changed. Because 
the other Diablo titles never had any inkling of that. Yes. And they never should have, or, and you, you know, it's, they made their money after that by actually giving content to users yeah. that was valuable. And so now, imagine that. So now what they've said is they'll never release another game that only makes money off the box price. They said they will never do it again. And so I'm most likely not going to be their customer anymore. That's just how it is. Now, depending on what I read about how it works, you know, maybe I'll bite that bullet. But they're still going to try to charge 50 or $60 for the base title. And then they're going to try to milk you. They're going to figure out ways of, of implementing whatever they can into their systems to milk money out of your pocket. And I'm happy to pay if it's adding more game and more value and whatever. Because like, if I'm going to buy the game in the first place, it's because I want to play it. If they're going to put out more good quality content and improvements, I'm happy to pay for that. But like when, when they're just trying to come up with schemes to to create a persistent revenue stream and that's the focus and that's exactly that, what the auction house was yes exactly it's a scheme to it, get and money. it ruined the game too it did it takes away the fundamental yeah. principle it ruined it. the game in order to create that revenue stream and so that's the thing like like re release more like i'm happy to pay for more you know like if if I, if there's a game that i love and you're like oh here's an expansion for 30 40 dollars that adds like another 30 hours of gameplay or more and more levels and more powers and whatever. I'm like, frick, yeah, sign me up. It, it's like Guild Wars, right? Guild Wars is a great example of, of that. You, you pay for the base game, you get connectivity into an MMO, persistent world kind of a thing, but you don't have a monthly fee. Yeah. You, you pay, they'll release new content, right? Like, you know, we're, we're, we've got our expansion. It's yeah, got three Destiny new classes. Destiny does this as well. Destiny and, too. And, and our three new classes, you can pick them up for $20. And yeah. they try to release those every couple of months. Yeah. We got to get you out of here soon, huh, Jordan? Hmm? A few more minutes. one forty. All right. Let's do a quick subject change then right before we finish. I wanted to tell Jordan that this man right here, Kevin... Carpenter is the one who originally got me into Brandon Sanderson. Well, yeah. Did you go to the release party together? No. <laughs> what? No, I'm Kevin not as hardcore. Not go. I'm not as hardcore of a Please. Brandon Sanderson. You, you were there to pick up Deathly Hollows on day one, bro. For obviously for Tara, not for yourself. Yes. But, but, next time you got to go with me. Did you start reading the Stormlight Archive yet? No. Bro. Bro, before. One of the things I have is I. Well, one of the reasons I like Sanderson, honestly, is that he actually releases stuff regularly, which is nice. But I have a thing where I don't like to forget books before the next one's coming out. So I like to have the, the series in front of me to be able to start and actually read through it. It's hard for me to get into something where it's a TBD release, you know, maybe sometime in 2022 or whatever kind of thing. And at least, you know, Sanderson, he does release regularly. He's not the... You know, like Robert Jordan, like yeah, he's Robert dead, Robert. so he's not. Well, you wait a long time. For I'm talking story. about his history, his <laughs> yeah, history okay. of how, how he handled or George R. R. Martin. Right? Yes, yeah, that, right. Like the people that did. Well, this is 2011, by the way, George. <laughs> 2011. Yeah, the, you can't, you can't trust them to actually release content, and so by the time the next book comes out, you're like, wait, I got to reread the entire series to get back to, so I can remember what was yeah, even going on. Yes and no. So here's the thing: for me, if I read a book but I don't talk to anybody about it. Kind of forget it pretty quick same with like a tv show or whatever you know anything i binge 
kind of goes away pretty fast if I don't talk to anybody about it. But there are lots of people that I know that are into Sanderson, so I can talk to them about different theories or different parts of the book. And sure, I forget a lot of details still. And I usually almost never go back and reread anything because my backlog is too big. But talking about it gets you, it puts you into the culture with those people, gets you in the know, and it helps you remember what's going on. Sure, that's probably true. So you should get in on this and go to a release party with me. So you have about a year to read the first three books, which is kind of a lot, admittedly, because as he showed in the release party, he put up a graph during the release party on a PowerPoint presentation where he showed the word count of the entire Chronicles of Narnia and how his book three of Stormlight Archive was bigger than it. So, <laughs> so it doesn't matter though. Once I start long. reading, I'll, yeah. I'll cruise through. It's just, a, it, it is, they are long though. And, um, but they're great. I like them. It takes some people a long time to read them. Um, if you don't read a lot or at a fast pace or whatever, but dude, you got until probably what, like November of next year to read the first three and then we'll go to the release party. You missed out. I went to the one for star site. Um, on the 26th, yeah, 26th, pretty good. Got a signed copy, Kevin. That's cool. Signed copy. And I, and while I was there, I bought a small vial of the eight basic Alamantic metals. So now I have a Mistborn vial. And if I, if, if I really need to, Kevin, I can down that and, you know, throw metal at people. Are you Mistborn? <laughs> Maybe. The only way to know, Jordan, is to ingest metal, right? So. There's a warning on it that says, please do not ingest this. <laughs> <laughs> well, those who heed the warnings don't find out. Yes. They're they're, without risk, there can be no reward, Kevin. Yeah. I, I really do like it. Fortune favors the bold, Jordan. I suppose. <laughs> it's true. Anyway, yeah, he, he knows how to make systems. He knows yeah. how to make worlds. Yeah. You know, he, he's good at that. Probably yeah. the best author I've, I've seen at that. Yeah, that's you know, a lot of them back, back themselves into corners, and then they have to do terrible writing to get themselves out. You know, like wait, Or they just ignore it. Yeah, or it's like, wait, why are these people who live in this system not thinking of the things that I am, even though yes. I'm not, I don't live in that world? Like the Time Turners in Harry Potter. Yeah, or what was it like? I don't even remember now. It was something like, you know, he couldn't make whatever thing float. Oh, but, the sword at the bottom of the, the water? Is right. that what you're talking about? Yeah. Because yeah. mm -hmm. like, he tries to use Accio to pull the, the sword of Gryffindor right. out of the water, and it doesn't work. So he's like, okay, I'm going to dive in. Right. It's like, okay, so let's say the sword is enchanted in such a way that a simple summoning spell won't pull the sword. Sure. Well, get rid of the freaking water! Yeah, get rid Move of the, the water. water! Push the water. Or pull or, the dirt. Yes, pull under, the dirt under it up. Like there are so many yes, things that don't amazing. make sense. Come on, it doesn't make sense because because <laughs> anybody who lives and breathes in that world and has access to those powers should instantaneously come up with those options. It's yes. not like we're not geniuses here that are like, oh yeah, but no matter what world you put me in, I can come up with exactly how to do it. Like like come on, Harry Potter, he's a wizard. He has these powers. He should know if I can't do that, I can manipulate manipulate the things around it if I can't manipulate it directly. That's a very simple principle. Even, even a kid would realize that. Like, hey, I can't reach that. 
but I can reach this blanket that it's on and pull the blanket. It's the same idea. It's just there's no room for that. In the and then they're just like the freezing and drying themselves off with towels. It's like, yeah, are you towels, not a wizard? Towels. Are you not a wizard? You you have you're the not ability the elements. to dry yourselves off. You're not the elements freeze you. At really? least light a fire there yes. and warm by the fire. Like, come on. Like, are, aren't, there, aren't there any like resist elements spells or anything like yeah. that to like keep me dry? Keep me not wet. Keep me. Like, come on, dude. Cold. Bro. Know. Bubble. There's got to be stuff. You know, it's just, why are you using, you're using a towel and freezing to that. Okay, <laughs> yeah. that makes sense. You've got all power. You can control the elements, but you can, you're going to freeze to death in a cave with a, a towel. Yeah. I mean, there could even be like a really simple thing. Like think about um, disapparating. When you disapparate, do you stay wet? Maybe you don't, you know? Like, there's questions like that that like somebody that that thinks about these kinds of things would instantly come up with you know like couldn't you just like teleport and then maybe the water doesn't go with you and now you're just now you're dry right you know, right like why water, why would the water go exa- exactly right it's maybe not you. maybe anything touching you goes right that's where your clothes go sure maybe but but still like you know I don't know maybe it wouldn't work but. Nobody even seemed to think about that. Right. Book, right. But but in Sanderson's books, the characters are smart. They come up with things I don't. Yes. And they if if it's something new that he's bringing to the table, they are discovering it. Yes. As if it's a new the the world he didn't know that they discovered it, which makes sense because it's like oh that's off the wall thinking. No one had ever done that. I could actually believe that, but nobody's ever tried to move the dirt under something to move the thing above it. Yeah. Give me a break. No one's ever tried to dry themselves off. Oh, <laughs> no I, one's ever been cold. Yeah. Why, why would I, why would that ever have dawned on it? Like, give me, give me a break. The re- level of writing is night and day. Yeah. Harry Potter's still good. It's still good, but it, don't it, mean to throw shade on you, J.K. Rowling. But it just, it just has. <laughs> Yeah, it's just a different kind of writing. Different kind, yeah. I favored Sanderson style more. Anyway, we got to get Jordan out of here. He's got only a little bit over ten minutes to get home, so we gotta we gotta wrap this up. So once again, thank you to Kevin Carpenter for showing up. It's been a long time coming. Been trying to get him on this podcast for a while. Finally, we'll probably have to bring him back for more discussions about all the things about all the things we didn't get to. So, any parting words? No. Advice? Nothing? Nothing? Anything from you, Jordan? Thanks All right, then. Thanks for listening. Yes, as always, thanks for listening. We will catch you next time.